Hello, hello, hello. I'm Russell Diver, and with me I've got my good mate, Phil Newman. Hello, Phil. Good evening. <laughs> Coming to you live on a wet and windy couple of days after Christmas. Yeah, isn't it wonderful? The misery of the weather. That's the misery of nice. the weather and tier four. Yeah, yeah. What more could you want? Oh, some beers. Well, we've got those, luckily. Cheers. Organised. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Um, Phil, who also is known as Big Phil, um, mainly because he's very tall, also used to have a magnificent beer gut, but doesn't anymore due to running. Um, and I'm just simply Russell, I suppose. We'll just call ourselves that for now. Ru- Russell and Phil or Big Phil. Anyway, um, we've known each other for quite a few years, haven't we? And we've been chatting about various subjects, film being one of them. We're both massive film fans. Um, and off, partly off the back of a chat we had in the pub, I think, when we met up in London uh, not too yeah. long ago, um, kind of sparked the extra interest, I think, to the point where now I've been doing some football podcasts, the idea came up, why don't we do a film one? What more could you want? Yeah, um, um, like any middle-aged, uh, overweight bloke, I'm a minefield of completely useless information that actually gets used nowhere, so where better place to um, unleash it than on a podcast? <laughs> we'll see how it goes. This is obviously my... Uh, you're breaking me in. I'm losing my podcast cherry at this very moment. And uh, yeah, we'll see how much I ramble on and how much absolute nonsense I spout. Brilliant. Um, well, I'm glad it's it's to me that you've lost your cherry off. I feel honoured, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the idea of this is, this is a pilot episode. This is a dry run that might become a real run. Who knows? Um, this is the first of what we hope might be many. Um, the general concept is, much like the football one I've done before, um, the general feedback, which I was happy with, was that it was like a bunch of blokes chatting down the pub. And that's pretty much the same remit we're looking at to do with this. So it's the two of us. We might get other people involved and later on down the line. Who knows? But the, the two of us, at least, chatting as if we're down the pub, even though we're on Zoom for now, and um, just talking for, uh, talking about film in general. Um the general broad idea we think we've we've sort of uh, decided to rest on is to do top fives. Um, there's an abundance of different subjects we can come on oh, onto. Yes. Yeah, um, if this runs and runs, which it probably won't, because it's it's no doubt going to be a disaster. But if it doesn't, <laughs> um, then um, there's so many subjects and subdivisions and all sorts we can go on with. And um, we thought what we do is we go with something that's fairly obvious, but not the most obvious we're not going to do our, f- our five best films of all time or anything like that um to be honest we'd be here for hours and hours debating what misses out to be honest with me but um what we're going to go for uh, today and um, we'll come to that in a little while is hitchcock isn't it oh, yes. um top five hitchcock films we're both huge hitchcock fans um we don't know each other's top fives at the moment although we can probably nope. guess some of them um you've been working on this for quite a while haven't you phil I have had a bit of time off over Christmas where I've looked at it. One question I do have. So when we say top five Hitchcock, I've gone for my favourites rather than what would critically be viewed as the top five. I'm presuming you've done the same. Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the two overlap really heavily for me anyway um, on this subject in particular. probably Because well, you, you, you obviously have a little bit of a head start on me in that you've got a film degree and I haven't. So you understand quite a lot of this stuff a lot better than I will. Well, maybe. I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, it was a degree. I was probably winging every bit of it. But, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. It's, so I might have a, a more of a theorist side cast over it in some regards. Maybe we'll see. Um, we're going to come to that. That's going to represent parts, probably parts two and three of this podcast after we finish this introduction. Um, looking forward to it. And yes, I think 
a mixture of favourites and and best, I think. Um, yeah. It's what you want it to be, to be honest, and, and you can argue your points as to why they are the five you've chosen. I'm looking forward to finding out what yours are. I'm um, pretty sure that it's going to be quite obvious, but we yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't well you know there's a slight wild card with my number five but um Ooh. if you if you know me then it might not be such a wild card after all um yeah. but we shall see okay well my number five actually was the one I was struggling with the other four I had no problem putting into into order there or thereabouts um interesting yeah I mean this this could fall flat on its face if you've got the same five in the same order couldn't it and we just uh it just means that yeah you have excellent taste (laughs) what can i say brilliant lovely okay so so that's what we're gonna get to just just a little bit first and to finish this first bit the intro section of the pod is to just talk about how we know each other so we basically to explain i'm from sussex originally worthing to be precise um you are from shore remind you phil yeah also from sussex yeah born and bred and born and bred we knew each other originally from a Northbrook College course. Yeah. This is what we did. In, well, I think the first, first day we met was, was, that would have been in 1993 on a day trip to Calais. Yes, that's right, which went rather... And I had rather a lot to drink being <laughs> 18 years old at the time. And yeah, that's what yeah. I did. Not, not quite as much as your, um, your old schoolmate, Simon, who had to be carried off the ferry in a wheelchair on his way to Calais, which was... No, that was when we went to Dublin. Oh, was that Dublin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was a college trip to Dublin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, that's that. I'm mixing them up. But, yeah, <laughs> that's they, they a whole both, different story. They, they were both um, very studious journeys, weren't they? We yeah, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, when you realise that someone has similar taste to you in both film and football, then there's going to be a vast amount of, um, yeah, yeah, nonsense spoken. Exactly. So, got on like a house on fire. You, you had an interest in Newcastle, didn't you, at the time? But you've yeah. pretty much an Albion fan now, aren't you, Brighton? Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seagulls. Excellent. Yeah. So, any Brighton fans out there? Were he? <laughs> um, anyway, moving swiftly on. So, yeah, yeah, we knew each other from college. Um, stayed in touch um, fairly soon after we went on to university courses. In fact, you went straight on to uni, didn't you? I had a year off from that. I think. Yeah, I had a year off. We both went to university oh, at the same time in the same city. Oh, yeah. Being middle-aged. If you remember, I ended up living gone. on your floor for a week because I had nowhere else to live ah. until your wife decided to find me somewhere to live because <laughs> she's had enough of me. Oh, it was all in good spirits. And that curry was laughing <laughs> you, I have to say. I'm a big curry fan as well, aren't you, Phil? Um, Very much so. Edi- <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, so we knew each other at the uni as well. I was doing the film course, as we've already mentioned, you were doing business studies, business yeah. Studies, yeah. Sort of generic, uh, yeah. yeah. Degree that you do if you want to get office work and you don't really know what <laughs> you're any good at. Yeah, and for your sins, you're now an accountant. Aren't I you? am now an accountant, so yeah. But I, I am hopefully not as boring as all the stereotypes sort of point towards. I'll let you make your own mind up on that. Yeah, and I followed the natural course for my film degree which is to become a driving instructor via several other crap jobs. So, yeah, it's all well and good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, um, what I really loved as well, just before we finish this first part, is um, when you're with your current Mrs Camille, we met up in a pub in London. I can't remember when it was. must have been a year or two ago now. Yeah, a couple of years back, yeah. Yeah, we got chatting about films again, and um, we started talking about your, I think, your top tens, and I pretty much guessed all of Every them. Every single one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which might mean this isn't going to work too well. <laughs> um, 
I thought that was great. I mean, it's, um, I'm, they're all good choices, I have to say. Um, but I think that's a measure of um, of the fact that we've we've got a lot of things in common, and I yes. think that that's a great thing to have. Um, and hopefully, we've had a lot of fun with this. We've always enjoyed chatting about films. Definitely. Um, you've been going off on a few tangents just to talk about current times, lockdown, and various other reasons, uh, Netflix and whatever else. You've been getting into your latest um, thing is well, the last time I spoke to you was Korean films, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, so because um, I'm an accountant and exceptionally boring, I'm so bad, and I don't know how many other people do this, I even keep a spreadsheet of the films that I've seen so I can make sure that, you know, I know which ones I've seen. I, I keep a rating system, which is tragic. Uh, yeah. and it's one of those things that kind of wastes time when you're supposed to be at work working yeah. from home just yeah i do the same thing with music and tv shows so i can't really really talk too much but yes uh this year has obviously been a year when i've watched a tremendous amount of, of cinema um traditionally i do like stupid dumb action films i also do like you know more yeah intellectual yeah. films uh yeah. Not on a Friday or a Saturday night, but, you know, everything, yeah. everything has its time and place. This year, uh, obviously, after Parasite won the uh, Oscar, uh, my wife and I watched it. We thought it was great. And then we went down hunting down the rest of his films and then the rest of any other Korean films. To the point now that my wife has got so obsessed, she's now um, listening to BTS and learning Korean and planning a trip to Seoul that we can't afford when we finally get out of lockdown. As if so. we never get out. <laughs> That was magnificent. I've got to say, That's yeah. Really... So, um, yeah, there's been, yeah, oh, there's been a lot, lot, lot of Korean film this year, and uh, ultimately over the over the summer, um, I really, yeah, on holiday with the in-laws, I managed to watch two or three films a day, so I've managed to catch up with pretty much every Asian action film for about the last forty years as well. So, a minefield of useless information in all things kung fu and action, uh, comedy, uh, and yeah. And then I watched the cleverer films with my wife. Yeah, but that's good because um, to speak a bit about my own taste, I mean, I'm pretty broad as well. Um, I love every, everything through history in terms of genres, styles of films. There's no, I mean, it's just about whether they're good or not. This is the be all and end all. So for me, it's everything from silent cinema and early talkies, classic Hollywood, right the way through all of the um, sort of the maverick director era of the 70s and all those things, right up to the modern day um international stuff as well uh, on a grand scale i watch tons of that and um, we don't get to see a, hard, a large amount of what's available um in other countries but um yeah i get to see as much as i can um and i think we're, we're both slightly kind of guided in that by the fact that your wife is japanese and my wife is french so yeah they're exactly. obviously going to have interest in other cinema compared definitely. to carry on films yeah that's had some flavor definitely <laughs> Although, be fair, have I you ever I made have you ever let chino watch a carry on film um, she hates them. <laughs> she absolutely. I don't think I'd ever get them. Camille to watch one, to be honest. She, obviously, <laughs> yeah, she, we were speaking the week after Barbara Windsor died, and, she, yeah, and Camille asked, yeah. "Who is Barbara Windsor?" And it's difficult to describe other than you the try and say she was a member of the royal camping. family. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been a wind up, couldn't it? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Shame, shame for her to to pass. But you know, they, they were a classic part of British culture, you could say, of sorts, cringingly part, so. Part of growing up in the uh, in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, definitely so, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of which, by the way, I'm one fan, a massive fan of Carry On, who might end up listening to this, is um, a mate of mine, John Orchard, who you know as well. Oh, he's a yeah, yeah. 
I'm sure of him, yeah. And um, good guy. And I told him I was doing a podcast with you. And he said, um, ask him if he still listens to the Mac Lads. <laughs> they reformed <laughs> this year. Have they? If you believe it or not. And they've even been, yeah, they've been doing gigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yes. Well, uh, not that often, not as often as I used to, but all I need to do is hear a few bars of Sweaty Betty and I'm giggling like anything. So what can I say? <laughs> she works on Simage Bar. <laughs> Love it. That's great. That's it, exactly, indeed. Yeah, well, hello to John, if you are indeed listening to this. And we'll, we'll see how this takes off. I mean, I do like the fact you're into action films a lot because if there's a genre I get a bit bored of, I have to say, if anything, it's action films. Uh, not Not so much... I don't have a lot of films of that genre I like. Uh, I do, but um, I just find myself in, maybe it's my age, I don't know, but I'm starting to find my mind wandering uh, during action films unless they are particularly gripping. So if it's something like The Raid or the better set pieces in Bond or something that I'm still gripped, but if it's just a generic action film, I can't, if I'm not emotionally engaged in it and it's it's not choreographed perfectly well, I I do switch off. It's it's Friday night or Saturday night. Match the day's not on. You've you've had a couple of beers. Your other half fallen asleep. It's either got to be a horror film or an action film, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I can enjoy it from time to time. And horrors actually on that subject is another genre where um, I enjoy good horror, but I do think it's a weak genre. I think most of them fall flat. Oh, I, I can tell you some films that you would really like. Yeah, Definitely. well, we can get into recommendations because yeah. you you probably know more than most on. Uh, listening yeah. to this, um, which might just be me, but, uh, but I, I think you think that they, I mean, I think particularly over the last ten years, it's a little. It's, I wouldn't quite put it so far as a golden age, but there is some very, very exciting stuff coming out at the moment in the in the horror genre, and it's not necessarily the stuff that the critics are pointing you to. So I thought Midsummer was boring. I thought Hereditary was boring, but uh, you know, but something like It Follows or The Conjuring, absolutely yeah. fantastic. All right, great. Well, we'll get into that in more detail later on, I think. But anyway, the fact we've got some differing tastes as well within the, the whole yeah. sphere, that, that's hopefully going to work out well and, and be a benefit as well. Um, okay, yeah. So, I mean, that pretty much rounds up what we wanted to do in terms of introing, just get people get a feel for what we're about. Um, there's plenty to talk about on various subjects, I'm sure, as we go along. Yes. Coming up in part two is going to be uh, the first part of our talk about Hitchcock, who is who I have to say is my favourite director of the lot, and I have I have a number of of people I put on a massively high pedestal directorially speaking, and he's probably top of a very a very uh, largely um, superb uh, yeah. group, I would say. Um, what about you? Is he? Is he, he uh, he's top five, I think. Top five. Yeah. Well, top uh, five yeah. directors is obviously going to be another. Yeah. Very, on. very, very possibly. But I'm sure you can probably guess all mine already. But yes, yeah. no, I'd, I'd say, yeah, I'd say he's probably four or five. Yeah. Excellent. What we're also doing is having a nice beer to give the impression we are down the pub together. So um, we're just going to yeah. drink our own It's the nearest we can get to being down the pub at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm on the ABK Edel beer at the moment from Beer 52, which is quite nice. Um, we do need to refuel, though, don't we? And it feels like yes. the appropriate time to take a brief break. So we okay. will be back in just a moment with part two, when we will start our countdown on our top five Hitchcock films. Coming back in just a moment.
Okay, so welcome back to part two of this inaugural, possibly only, podcast. And there's not been many film podcasts um, out there, so I, I thought there was a gap in the market, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. isn't there? But, um, there's probably something for everyone. Um, maybe we, we've managed to find an exception to the rule. Who knows? We'll find out in due course. But one thing we are adding to it is a nice, nice tipple. I'm on the uh, the Bauhaus Brau, um, Ice Zapfel, I think that's pronounced. I'm pretty sure it's Your not. Your accent is astounding. Be <laughs> <Ain't> bad. <laughs> and I'm on the Brewdog Clockwork Tangerine Citron Session IPA. So, Excellent. And not a bad tip or two. That's all right, isn't it? Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to name uh, this Zoom pub we've got going here uh, with a film <laughs> themes name at some point. I think maybe. Right. Okay. On to the main business of the day as we <laughs> as we get part two underway here. Um, top five for Hitchcock. Now, as I mentioned, Alfred Hitchcock is my favourite film director, I think. He edges it. Uh, he's in your top five, you said, as well. Um, what I think with him is this has been really hard to choose, the top five, mainly for one reason. the top th- My top three could arguably, for me, have gone in any order. We'll come to that yeah, later on. pretty much the same here, yes. Yeah. Um, my... In fact, top four, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And my, my fifth choice is um, was also really difficult. I've had to leave out a number of films I love of his. To be honest with you, I think this guy's got more masterpieces than anybody else. It's ridiculous. Um, you can't disagree. Lord classics. <laughs> you look on the run that he went on from about the late 30s all the way through to the mid 60s i don't think anybody's yeah. ever had a run like that in the history of cinema and yeah. to keep that kind of consistency out i mean there are a couple that i haven't seen in it, yeah. that are sort of scattered around there and there are a couple that are not quite as good as they were but if you and also just point out the fact that most of that time he was making a tv series as well <laughs> you know yeah. so i don't know how yeah. he did it yeah there's so much to read around if, you, if you're interested in the subject i recommend the book um uh, the Dark Side of Genius by Donald Spotter, I think it is from memory, um, which is quite a hefty uh, tome, but it is a really, really good read. Um, and it sums up what it is about Hitchcock that makes him a good filmmaker for me, which is that there's so much um, going on in his head. Um, there's hang-ups, there's um, all sorts of um, yes. ambiguities and complications, shall we say, in his mindset, um, in, his, in his life. I think, I think what I like the most about him is that... Um, I like a blockbuster, and he does blockbusters, but he also does blockbusters with a bits of with 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 brains. Otherwise, you wouldn't have Francois Truffaut sitting down with you for fifty hours, going yeah. talking you through everything. So while you there, there is a kind of like you can watch it at a certain level and uh, as a kind of popcorn level. There is a lot going on under the surface as well, and the more you think about it and look into it, the more you realise there's a lot more going under the surface than you could poss- possibly imagine. Yeah, we'll come to this, I'm sure, in a lot of detail, but things like um, um, duplications, um, voyeurism, uh, subjects like that come into it. Misogyny is a word that comes up a lot, unfortunately. Other issues, yeah. Other issues as well, yeah. And um, again, we'll we'll, we'll get into the details in the individual films in a minute, but um, you look at some of his past works and you think, He's, he's playing with you, um, not just in terms of the MacGuffins and the Master of Suspense, which, of course, is the famous tag um, quite rightly attributed to, to him, but also 
just things he'll do. It almost um, there was a film Marnie uh, where there's a ridiculous backdrop of a, a, a harbour scene or something in the background, and it looks it looks ridiculous. And he can only have done that on purpose because yes, he must have looked at that. Being a man of perfection, a man who likes to script in his head, um, storyboard, and basically, ultimately, I think he everything. Said, he was famous because he storyboarded everything, didn't he? Yeah, there was no absolutely. improvisation. There was no bonus scenes, no delete, apart from one or two films that they might have chopped different endings for that we may or may not get into. But everything was completely organised beforehand. He knew every single shot that was happening and, yeah. and you know, he stuck to it. To the point where he, he, he often described himself as, as being bored with the actual filmmaking process because it was a matter of a laborious task to get what he already had very clearly realised in his head onto the script or onto the um, onto film and then on eventually onto the screen. Um, well, yeah, he would, he would also only work with actors who knew what they were doing. Uh, he wouldn't yeah. have, he, you'd never get someone making a debut in an Alfred Hitchcock film. They all, they all people had a, a, a track record of knowing exactly what they were doing and they were all big stars because he didn't want to have to kind of, you know, ease them in or break them in. He was like, well, you know what you're doing, off you go, straight in. Yeah. One of the complications with the actors, and we'll get into that as well, I'm sure, is um, his, should we say, fractious and varied relationships with his female leads. Oh, yes. He's <laughs> um, he good job the Me Too movement for him anyway. I mean, it didn't come round about, you know, 50 years earlier. Otherwise, he could have been in a lot of trouble. Yes, most probably. Um, I mean, he, obviously, he had a lot of hang-ups, and there were, um, I think, some difficult relationships Um particularly with Tippi Hedren, um, who I'm sure will get mentioned yeah, later on. Yes. Um, and, of course, is in, in Marnie anyway, um, as one of the films. Um, but, yeah, I mean, lots of difficulties. He was famously um, quoted as mentioning uh, that he regarded uh, actors as sheep. Uh, I can't yes. remember the exact Cattle, quote. Cattle, wasn't it? Cattle, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, it all, all feeds into this whole sense of him having this impatience to get the job done, having already realised it all in his head. So um, he came from a complicated background, although he was from modest roots. He's a, he was a grocer's son, wasn't he? Greengrocer, I think, in fact. Um, yeah. But he, he was from a Catholic background, and that always immediately throws yes. a few things into the, into the mix, doesn't it? Um, I remember reading that he got into trouble at a young age and his parents, I think his dad in particular, um, took him to a police station and asked the policeman to lock him in a, in a cell for what yeah. was probably a very small period of time, but without telling him that, that was the case. Yeah, and you can see that because there's a real mistrust of the police in the vast majority of his films. Yeah, yeah. They're never well, completely it's... competent, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when I was growing up, the police—I was always scared of the police. I was always worried of doing anything wrong. I was—I was a, a goody two-shoes, to be honest, growing up um, for most of my life, anyway. Uh, and um, I was always scared of the police, and that comes from a completely un-Catholic background. So yes. I don't know what that says, but um, but certainly that played into his his um, sensibilities and his his film work throughout his his life, didn't it? Um, sometimes ostensibly, sometimes subtly, sometimes hinted at heavily <laughs> yeah so that's that's the background we come from he's a london boy from leighton leightonstone i think it yep. was um incidentally there's some tributes at the tube station to him uh, some mosaics on the on the walls as you come out the tube station worth checking out if ever you're in the area um oh, okay yeah um mainly to do with his famous films um but yeah so he, he came from modest means he worked early on in german expressionist cinema um, he was doing work experience over there. So that brought, a, I think, a, 
really interesting element in. I, I, that's one of the earlier film genres I really love, the, the work of F.W. Murnau, um, uh, you know, and things like The Cabinet of Dr. Cam- yeah. Caligari and, um, and Nosferatu as well. Those, those two filmmakers in particular were excellent, and I'm sure they would have had an influence on the young working Hitchcock making his way. Um, he was obviously, as time went on, he was famed for having Alma Revel, his wife, um, as his very much his kind of number two. Yeah. Uh, to borrow a football term, the the perfect assistant manager, I think. Yeah, um, I think so. Yes. Maybe with a lot more, I think a lot more uh, input than we we might otherwise have imagined if we hadn't read up about him and so on. Yeah. yeah. So that's the backdrop. Um, so we now in, so in this part. Yeah, so we're just sort of moving on a little bit. So in the 1920s, he started off in silent films, didn't he? And he made yeah, that's right. He yeah. made a few. Yeah, he made one called. I've got to be honest, I've never seen any of his silent films. Oh, there's one that's called The Lodger that's supposed to be very, very good. Um, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't seen any of them. Yeah, The Lodger, I will tell you now, made my long list, but it didn't get in the top five. But yeah, that is an exceptionally good film. There's a lot of his early early films and the talkies as well when he went into the talkie era with yeah. blackmail. Um, there's a really famous scene with the word knife being mentioned in gradually ascending volume. Oh, okay. um, so he's playing around with the genre. You know, it's it's not what the um, what's actually happening, but it's what the, the the protagonist is hearing. He's hearing the word almost stabbing at him like a knife um, because he's he's guilty of something and he's he's being incriminated yeah. by by his own guilt. Um, so stuff like that were, I would say, really strong early flourishes. And, and the silent stuff is, is great. Lodger is, is a really good film. I'd recommend watching that one. Because um, you can kind of, you can almost divide it. It's sort of 20s with silent films, 30s yeah. was English talkies, and then yeah. 1940 over the over the pond. And then from then he was, he was pretty much based in America for the rest of his career. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think that, that provides a happy marriage as well I think the fact he's coming from well not only the experience of going to Europe and working in film but also the the early stages of working class London followed by a career in the film industry here Austri Studios and so on um, but on to um, on to America and I think that added an extra rich layer not only because he got the money to make uh, an abundance of films that we're no doubt going to talk about yes. amongst others um, but also for the fact that he um, he, he just had extra cultures to draw on, different elements to draw on, which I think enhanced um, everything, really. I think it yeah. uh, really helps. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and what we're going to do in, in part two here, the one we're on at the moment, is to talk about our number fives and our number fours. The general format is we're going to go one by one. So I, I think we decided I'm going to go first here, um, you were saying. So I'll do my five, you'll do your five. Yeah. I'll do my four, you'll do your four. Exactly. If there's a clash, we'll talk about it more at this earlier stage to avoid plot spoilers uh, for the later well, one. I think we will generally try to avoid plot spoilers, but there are one <laughs> or two that are a little bit of an elephant in the room that you can't really not talk about. Let's be let's be perfectly honest. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, as I said earlier, my number five, I've got a feeling this is where I'm guessing we're not going to match actually um it's i had so many choices um could have gone in at five um amongst them were notorious yeah um which i think is a great film Excellent. yeah um to catch a thief is, is good fun uh, but yeah I, it's quality, okay but, yeah. it's it's a bit it's a bit fluffy isn't it yeah um, I, prefer, I prefer the ones that have got a bit more um a bit more yeah. about them 
yeah. But just um, just just on, I mean, notorious. I, I, I just quickly you know, going off on my, I, I think yeah, that would probably be my number six. I would have thought. I mean, yeah. And it's well seven eight. <laughs> I think it's it's a well it's a film that's well worth tracking down, and it's a strange film to watch now, in that the way they treat that poor woman. <laughs> It's yeah. absolutely horrific. They're yeah. like, your dad was a Nazi, so we want you to fly to South America, get off with all of his mates, uh, and you're on your own. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're after, yeah, and we're, and we're after some uranium. Uh, and at that point, nobody knew that uranium was in atomic bombs. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. lot going on, but definitely a film that's well worth, what, yeah, well worth catching up on. I yeah, can say yeah. this because I watched it last week. Cause all I right. <laughs> Oh really? Stupidly. I had oh, well, no. fair play. Well, I'm glad you've added that to your um, to your bank of experience. Yes. Anyway, now yes. yeah, it's a great film. I mean, that was really close to the list. Um, I mean, he, he, he plays with the suspense elements in that film as yeah. well, doesn't he? You know what, what's oh, going definitely. on here. Yeah. Um, so that was one of them. Um, I really, really love. Um, again, sorry if these are on your list. So That's right. I won't mention them too much, but. Um, I really, really love the Lady Valanches. I think it's got so yeah. many layers and so much detail. It's so much good fun for a, a very early age. If you think have... that's 1938, that film's yeah. 82 years old. But, I mean, I could put that in front of my kids and they'd sit and be glued yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's brilliant. The two old boys with the, the cricket scores they're trying to get and everything. Um, and, you, you know, just the, uh, just, just the way there's a... there's a, I love the whole disappearing major character. Well, well the eponymous character yes. in this case. Um, um and just just the elements of it it's just just brilliant there's humor there's suspense there's fun there's intrigue so that could have gone on there um strangers on the train's a great film interesting concept Fantastic. Yeah, yeah really really good um shadow of a doubt which um, is one of my wife's yeah. favorite Again, yeah I, uh, yeah i mean that's another one that's got some obviously very dubious incestuous politics yeah, yeah. going on Humble in it story. but it's it's absolute it's absolutely fantastic there, yes all films that um yeah, yeah. i, I, I that, Definitely worth watching. Don't let yeah. the fact that they're made in the late 30s and early 40s, you know, put you off there. I mean, in terms of pure cinema and pure plot. Yeah, exactly. If th- This is the reason I'm quite pleased we're doing Hitchcock first. If this does end up being a thing where we're having multiple podcasts. Yeah. Here Next one will be this. Jason Statham films and I'll, I'll be blinding <laughs> yeah. you with my knowledge. From the support, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if, if, we, if it does run and, and people are listening to this somewhere down the line, I honestly think this is a good way of explaining how uh, Hitchcock is, is how you can get into older films because yeah. they're fun, they're, they're exciting, there's loads going on. You can read multiply into what's going on behind the scenes. He, he adds so much detail, so much layer, yeah. even from an early age of, of his film career. And all of those films, and many more besides, which we might mention later on, which don't make our top fives, um, are, are really worth it. There, there's a load of films there which are good fun. And even though some of them are problematic by current dates, um, yes. you know they're still still really good. And it's on that subject that I'm going to come to my my. Okay, yeah. Before I keep interrupting, yes. Yeah, I, I've I've gone for something which this is the one I don't think you're going to hit, but let's see. Um, it's Rebecca, 1940. Um, which that was actually my number seven. Oh, I, I, I made it. I made the top ten, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Rebecca, I mean, it's based on the Daphne du Maurier book, which I've read. I think I read it after the... Yeah, I read Have you seen Ben Wheatley's remake yet? I haven't, no. I'm I haven't either. That. It's on Netflix, yeah. isn't it? But I haven't got around to it yet. Yeah, this is Christian Scott Thomas as Mrs Danvers, isn't it? 
which is I but I'm not I sure think, actually. I think that's yes. right. Which is the reason why the the wife who who's generally against remakes of anything that's already brilliant um, yes. was actually genuinely interested in having a nose of that, and we we haven't seen it yet. Um, I heard that it's I heard it's it's okay, but not great. But yeah, yeah. A, I mean, it's a difficult one to yeah. try and top, isn't it? <laughs> Let's be yeah. perfectly honest. Exactly. I mean, if if a film is perfect, um, but what we, we might come to this in the top fives. Yeah. Um, Psycho is a film which got remade shot for shot, and I cannot understand. Why would you? That was Gus Van Sant, wasn't it? What, I, I've got no interest in watching that whatsoever. The same film done done with less flair. It just doesn't make sense. No, I mean, something like uh, Rear Window, remade with Christopher Reeve, obviously in a wheelchair. <laughs> I might give that a try. I haven't, but I might. No, but I a shot for shot version of Psycho with Vince doesn't Vaughan. Sense. No, you're, you're right. I don't know who green-lighted that. Whoever it was is an imbecile. Sorry, I don't, think, I don't think it made me much money. I've got to be perfectly honest, uh, yes. But with Rebecca, you could, well, at least you could understand there, there were elements of the, of the film which you could either rework or at least improve on, perhaps. Um, there is that about it. But with a lot of Hitchcock's films, they are perfect yet imperfect at the same time. With this one, I mean, there were some problems in terms of um, one of the funniest lines that made me laugh out loud when I first saw it, which I think was in the cinema, actually, the first time I saw it as a re-release, um, was the scene where um, the, the character who is, well, unnamed, basically, in, in yes. both the book and the film, um, who is the second wife of the, the main male character, played by Laurence Olivier, um, She's sitting in a restaurant with him saying, darling, I've been thinking. And he says, oh, why do you want to do a silly thing like that? <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's one of the few times I've genuinely laughed out loud, very loudly in a cinema. Yeah. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And so um, for those that haven't seen Rebecca, sorry, I made I made, I made a quick note on, on it, um, what, it, what it's about. Uh, shy lady's companion Joan Fontaine is in Monte Carlo. She meets the wealthy Maxim de Winter, which is Laurence Olivier. They fall in love, marry, return to his Cornish estate, Mandalay. Is there such a thing as a Cornish estate? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> He's troubled by the death of his first wife in a boating accident, and she clashes with his housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers. And that pretty much sets it up, doesn't it? Yeah, that, that sets it up. Um, it's a 1940. Um, American it was his woman. first American film, even though it was set in Cornwall. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, which um, wasn't the first time actually that happened. But yeah, yeah, he had an interesting relationship with Selznick, didn't he? Who yes. basically is as much of a control freak as he is. Yeah, so that was... very, yeah, and they were quite different characters. Yeah, yeah, but they they did against the odds manage to get a version out. Um, I think uh, Selznick I... insisted that he kind of be very faithful to the book. Yeah, yeah, but which that's sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, which I think, well, ultimately, I think he does largely. I mean, he's obviously got his creative influence on it in terms of the, the whole, vision. yeah, the whole, trying not to go too deep into toy, spoiler territory, but the whole part of his um, his dead wife, uh, Mr. De Winter's dead wife, and how she died in a boating accident. I, I, um, I haven't read the book, you have, but I hear that they've changed it a lot because in a novel written in pretty much any time you can write almost what you want and it goes to the publisher and it's printed and people read it with a yeah. film there are a lot more rules and regulations so for yeah. example the, the ultimate example is obviously the italian job in the 1960s you weren't allowed to show the thieves getting away with it and that's why you have hang on that's a gone idea with the, the, the bus hanging out over the end of the uh, the italian alps 
And so they obviously had to change quite a few of the details to kind of make it make it a bit more palatable and get it past the censors. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they, and you're right, they do change a lot of that, um, which was interesting because, as I said, I saw the film first and then read the book, so it was interesting to read the difference um, there. But yeah, it, um, Rebecca, of course, being the the dead wife, being the uh, the eponymous character in this one. Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting film. It had really good actors in it um, on yeah. top form. Even the side characters like George Sanders, who's, who comes in, uh, you know, talking about Danny, which is Mrs. Danvers. Yes. He's got a connection with the sorts. We won't plot spoiler yes. on that one. I'm going to avoid um, the plot in, in large detail, shall we say, just in case you know, people haven't yeah. seen it. I really, really am surprised if you haven't, though. Um, it's a great film. But, um, Me too. Yeah. What, what I love about this is um, the fact that it's it really emphasises the perspective people have in relationships um it you know she is a, a meek character she's unsure of herself she's still very young it's sort of a, um, implied in the uh, the fact she's got a chaperone wandering around with her um yeah. in the french riviera and she yeah and so she's the perfect um foil for this narrative to, to stumble into something which she's got no and idea it's a typical kind of hitchcock thing whereas where someone is just pulled in you know, completely innocently pulled into a completely different world and let's see, you know, drop them in and see how they cope. Yeah, yeah. It keeps you guessing. You're not quite sure what's going on as, as the story goes along. Um, there is a sort of like a big reveal, you could call it. Um, and I think, I think, I just think it's a film that has so many details to it. Mrs. Danvers is the one that everyone Fantastic talks about. character. Yeah. One, one of my favourite film characters. She is... Uh, it's She's almost, an ice queen, isn't she? She is very much an ice queen, uh, British actress. Uh, of course, she's Australian, wasn't she? I wish she, oh, no, yeah, yeah, I think you're right, actually. Yeah, I think she is Australian. Yeah, Judith Anderson, I think her name is. Is that right? Might have got the surname wrong. We'll have to check that one. <laughs> but, um, but she is, she is the um, archetypal creepy character. What she yeah. is is almost like a ghost like presence. She's clearly got some very particular connection should we yes. say there's undertones to her connection with so at the time yeah in hollywood they they had something called oh, i read this i read this just this morning they had the breen office which was yeah. Hollywood censorship yeah. board which prohibited any hint of lesbian relationships mm-hmm. whatsoever and yeah. i'm not saying there was or there wasn't but there was definitely a very close relationship between <laughs> Rebecca and Mrs. Danvers, that, that Hitchcock pushed the censors all the way on, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's it. And that's one of the reasons I love going, just digressing slightly. Early film, um, particularly the early talk era, was what you couldn't do. You were bound by, you, you mentioned Breen, there was yeah. a Hayes Code as well, and you just couldn't get away with much um, lengthy kisses, certain dialogue. Yeah. I, I I think was it three seconds for a kiss or something yeah, like that. So right. he used to do this thing where they start kissing and then he cuts somewhere else and come back again and they come keep back, kissing yeah, and cut yeah. somewhere else and come back and yeah. they keep kissing. Exactly. And what that was is one of many examples of people playing with the restrictions and becoming more and more creative um, because they had to. So yeah. through, um, you know, innuendo in dialogues, uh, Bogart and Bacall films, for example, they're so, it's, it's so weighted down with, um, I mean, in a good way, with yeah. uh, innuendo. Um, it's, it's almost ridiculous. And it makes for such great fun to, to watch. They didn't waste time with old films as well. It was packed in 
with all the detail. And 1940 with Rebecca, you're still talking along the same lines. There's not um, any scenes wasted. Uh, the Mrs. Danvers stuff, as you mentioned, the implications yeah. in there are there for all to see. But I don't think they're clear enough for people to be able to have an issue with. It's one of those yeah. things where you say, well, you, you think that? Well, what's, well, what's yeah, wrong with your thinking? You. Yeah. <laughs> miss, miss that hang up. Yeah. Um, and the, um, the other one, I mean, Laurence Olivier, um, let's be honest, in some of his other films, he can be quite hammy. Yes, I'm glad. By the standards said. of the day, but in this, yeah. he's not at all. No, no. In, in as much as he is, it's, it suits the character, and I think largely it isn't the case anyway. Yeah, you're right. He, he be... had that whole stage actor thing where, yeah. you know, you stand triumphantly and announce and enunciate. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, he, he's, he's a lot more sheepish in this. He's not like he is in, yeah, beginning of Superman. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Olivier, obviously neither of us are anywhere near old enough to have ever seen him on the stage. Apparently he was li literally electric uh, in yes. terms of the, the effect he had on audiences on the stage. And by all accounts, the greatest of all time. If that is the case, then fair play to him. We can't comment on that because we, we didn't experience it. Yeah. As an actor on screen, yeah, I agree with you. He's he's sometimes very hammy, sometimes ultra hammy. Um, yeah. um, but I think this was the perfect role for him. I think he's been miscast in other roles. If you've ever but, seen that episode of Black Adder where he gets the actors in and you've got yeah. to teach him Bridge George how to act, that yeah. is what Laurence Olivier can be can be like sometimes standing with his legs legs apart shouting at people. Not so much doing the scenery, but gorging yeah. himself on it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but he's perfect in it. Of course, um, you've got Joan Fontaine in the main role, female role. Yep. Um, the unnamed, I mean, this is part of it. She's never named in the, in the book or the film by name. She's oh, okay. Just, yeah, she, she, she's effectively, she is literally this. anonymous apart from being the second Mrs. De Winter. Yes. And, and, and in that, the title, the second Mrs. De Winter, is itself a put-down, which is the, the perspective that she's feeling the whole way through the story. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I probably won't want to say too much more about it than that, other than to say it's, it's a great film. The acting's brilliant. Uh, beautiful photography. Um, some, some classic scenes in it as well. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I won't go into detail to avoid plot spoilers, but... I thoroughly recommend it, and um, clearly you like the film as well, Phil. Which is it's fantastic, yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, and the only other thing I mentioned is yeah, Daphne de Maurier. Um, well, yeah. two 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 other little factoids for you. One is that if you ever book into a hotel and in the signing in book it says Rebecca de Winter, that means that Liz Hurley's staying there apparently. Oh really? <laughs> um, you did say you're a mind of useless information. Yeah, I don't know. I've done that. Yeah, and and. Um, <laughs> Just to mention Daphne du Maurier briefly, obviously she wrote Jamaica Inn, which Hitch made the year before. She yes. also wrote The Birds. Um, and, oh. and one other famous film that she wrote was Don't Look Now. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Which, do you know what? I did know that and I had since forgotten it. Yeah. Which is a great film. Again, we yes. definitely don't want to plot swallow that one, but um, no. we recommend that one too. We'll come to that probably at some point in the future. Yeah, no, um, definitely. Yeah, she, she's a great writer. I've read a couple of her books before, and um, Jamaica Rim being one of them. And yeah, she's good. She's very good. So I've got Rebecca at number five. You had her, shall we say, at number I had seven. A, I had Who did you seven. have at five? So, um, with quite the white, I won't go into it too much to explore what goes for the future, to explore what can come down the line. But I'd heard about a lot of the Hitch films and their reputations before. 
I actually watched them. So yeah. you do build up a certain idea where you might, this is going to be brilliant. And sometimes, and most of the time, let's be honest, it is. But every now and then you, there's certain films that people don't really mention. And then you watch it and you think that was absolutely fantastic. Why don't people mention that? Uh, and so for my number five, you mentioned it earlier, Marnie. Ah, right. I, right. I, 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 it was one of those ones where um, I, I just watched it because I thought that's a hitch film. That'll be good. And, I, and I'd had no kind of preamble, no reservations or thoughts or it hadn't been built up. And I just thought it was an absolute cracking thriller, obviously elevated by the fact that I'm a James Bond fanatic and it, Sean Connery was on it. He just he was I think he was in between uh, From Russia With Love and Thunderball, I think, I'm presuming mm. uh, at the time. And he makes it so quick. Just a quick one on, on one on it. So Marnie, played played by Tippy Hedren, uh, she's a thief who gets a secretary job and uh, robs the firms, and then sort of does a runner, um, not dissimilar to the start of another film that I'm sure we'll be talking about soon. Um, at one particular place that she's working, uh, she catches the eye of the owner, Sh- uh, Sean Connery, and he basically prevents her running off by marrying her, and um, she's obviously got a few issues. And he gets a private detective to start looking into them. Yeah. And I, I thought it was an absolute cracking film. Yeah. yeah. It's it's very very taut, tense, well directed thriller um, that uh, yeah, doesn't really seem to get the love of quite a few of the other ones. Interesting choice. Very interesting choice. I have to say, when I mentioned Marnie earlier, not not that I think I've spoiled anything by doing so, but I didn't honestly think that was going to be in your top five. I have to say so. We've already um, broken with that, that pub scenario. I mean, getting your ten out of ten, your top ten. <laughs> uh, not not so much on this. Um, yeah, it's for me. That's a very interesting film because it's, it's it has got real tension to it. There's yeah. a real edge, um, which I think for the time of the film was must have been. I can only imagine when it was released first time yeah. how jarring that must have been. Um, it's very problematic, isn't it? We again, I don't know how much detail we want to talk about what goes on, but there's certain, certain scenes, things, yes, or scenes, yeah, um, yes. which are very difficult, shall we say? Um, but um, the relationship, the the edge in that film, uh, compared with other films of the time, I yeah. think is remarkable. Yeah, it's like all of Hitchcock's films. Um, the only person I can, the only people I can think of in recent times who have the same effect in Hitchcock films in general they're the Coen brothers there's a certain yes. when you watch Coen brothers it just visually speaking it feels playful and familiar and there's something about it where you feel like you've you know yes. this already and you get that with most of Hitchcock's films definitely the color stuff all of the yeah. stuff in color which obviously Marnie is yeah um and even in something that's much more serious of tone much more edgy like this yes. you've You've got that real, it's a visceral thing, isn't it? Yeah. Just a real sense of you're fully immersed in it. And I think you get that with any of his films. Marnie, yeah, it's not one of my favourites. And not because of that ridiculous backdrop scene I was talking yes. about. Which, which was, I mean, what, what do you make of that, by the way? Because. Yeah, I'm sure he had his reasons at the time. <laughs> yeah, there must have been. A <laughs> there might have been something that's far too clever for me to even comprehend. Yeah, I've, I've racked my brains because you can read multiply into all of his films. With that one, I think it's either a case of he was having a dig at the production team over some squabble they'd had, yeah. or he was trying to make it look ridiculous, something to do with the psyche of the characters or something like that. 
uh, as if yeah. where she was didn't feel real to her or something like that. I'm not sure. But I think the, the one, the, one of the things I do like is that um, of his male protagonists, and I'm talking about the kind of the leads, yeah. uh, um, not the villains. Um, I mean, I think my kind of ultimate um, Hitchcock villain would be uh, Strangers in a Train. It would be Bruno Anthony. But I think mm. Sean Connery here, although he's a lead, mm. he has that real menace about, yeah. <laughs> about him. You yeah. really think that, you know, he's, he's got that. He's, I mean, he, he's a little bit James Bond in, in this film, but not completely. He does have a kind of sort of prowling. I think it was Ian... Fleming actually said that he walked like a panther or something like that. Yeah. And he still, and this was, the, you know, he was very much at that stage of his life. Well, he really is the villain of this film, isn't he, actually? It's yeah. not great. And the funny thing is, actually, I mean, two things. One, you mentioned about the chronology. Just looking it up, we've got uh, 1962 was, uh, for, for Connery, was the longest day in Doctor No. 63 was from Russia with Love. Um, 64 was Goldfinger, Marnie, oh, Goldfinger, Marnie and a yeah. film called Woman of Straw. And then 65 yeah, right. was The Hill, which the is... The Hill's a fantastic <laughs> film. That's a good film. Oh. And People never one. never mention that one. That's the one where he's in the... Um, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's kept kept in the camp and tortured every day, isn't he, by yeah. running up the hill. <laughs> Re- really kind of horrible, nasty, nasty film, but very, very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. If these things do run and run, um, you'll get to know more and more about how much of a Bond fan Phil is. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've, you have been for years. I, well, I've grown up on Bond. Massive nerd. Probably have, not yes. The one thing, of course, famously um, that people criticise about Bond as a character is his misogyny, yes. uh, the womanising and that sort of stuff. And so it's probably in some ways an obvious role that he, a misogynistic character Shall we say? It was, was, I mean, he was a kind of interesting choice. So I looked a bit into the casting for this. So they originally, Grace Kelly was going to be the main role. And she'd obviously was then became Princess of Monaco. And the residents of Monaco didn't really want their princess appearing in a film opposite Sean Connery as a a, a sexually disturbed thief. (laughs) So so I think Marilyn Monroe was even discussed at some points, but they didn't go. Lee Remick was another one that was up for it. And in the end, they went back to Tippi Hedren, who just they just finished working with on the birds where he'd absolutely terrorised her. Uh, and she yeah and she came in so with Sean Connery um what was quite I think he had a deal with Eon the the people behind James Bond and he was kind of tied into that but he I'm sure in sure Sean Connery style I won't try and do a terrible accent uh kind of said I want to work with Hitchcock and they said yeah fine but what Connery did uh, was asked for a copy of the script before he signed up to it, which back then you weren't allowed. People didn't do that. You weren't yeah. allowed to do that. You were you were working on that job and you do whatever the script says, you know, you and that was it. You know, it's not like now where you can read through and decide which ones you want to pick up. He yeah. was very much of a, I'm not committing to anything until I read it first. Yeah, fair place. And, yeah. and he's the sort of person you can expect being exactly like that as well. Yeah, it's interesting cast, casting. And just as a digression as well, I remember you being a massive Bond fan, you got into reading the books, didn't you? And I remember I you did, were saying yes. at one point you gave, yeah, this is actually, it's probably worse than the films because, oh um, God. Yeah. because of other under, undercurrents, which were, uh, shall we say, um, unfortunate. Yes, very, yes. I mean, I know the they're a product of their time, but I mean, that's, that's something that maybe we'll talk about another time because they're looking at a lot at the moment at films yeah. and re giving them new certifications or uh, based on 
Oh, on political, on yeah, orientated basically group. how racist and, and or yeah. sexist or they are, and they're looking at changing a few of these around and putting notices up at the beginning saying, you know, the film saying, you know, this is how this would yeah. have been portrayed at this particular time. Yeah, since Black Lives Matter, we've had a, a huge upsurge in and rightly so, to... definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the thing about the statues, there's been a, a revisionism about that, also about um. Um, things like previous TV, uh, well, sitcoms in particular, yeah, but TV yeah. in general. I watched an episode of Some Mothers Do Have Them over Christmas, which they put on, which they had a disclaimer at the beginning. Talking I about, think we, yes. Hmm, I'm well, not surprised. This was to do with... Um, the campness, I'm presuming. Yeah, the campness and this this notion of the sissy sort of character, yeah. they would have called it at the time. Um, which was hammed up to the to the absolute eyeballs. Um, yeah, it is it is a technically very funny program, but it it does sit very awkwardly. I think yes. it depends what we're talking about, and you have to take things in context. The the same goes with films, and we'll we'll talk about that on numerous yeah. occasions. Sure, but um, with Bond, I mean, you just take it with a pinch of salt. It's 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 there for, yeah, it is for what fun it is. and the entertainment, isn't it? Um, anyway, more on Bond on another. Yeah. another so I've gone for Rebecca, you've gone for Marnie. Any more to one, talk One about? last one on Marnie, yeah. So this was actually based on the book, again, um, like a lot of Hitch's book, films were based on books. This was based on a book by Winston Graham, who's pretty much the only book that he wrote that wasn't a Poldark one, believe it or not. It's a completely... <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a world away from his normal oeuvre. Yeah, well, Poldark, of course, is the um, the... Uh, well, the, to be looked at this, as they used to call it on this film course I did, this Laura Mulvey film theorist, oh God, it was about voyeurism. Well, isn't Poldark the is actually the flip side of the looking at women thing, isn't it, actually? Because he's always, should we say, um, topless uh, or um, on display, um, Poldark. Anyway, that's a digression again. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> moving on. We um, can move on to number four. Yes, yeah, so number four. Um, this one, again, is a much-loved film. I absolutely love this film. I've watched it growing up several times through the years. We're talking just after Christmas, and in my mind's eye, at least, in my memory, it seemed to be on at Christmas a lot, maybe or other holiday periods. Um, and it's a film which is brilliant for the fact it is, a, I think, a film about voyeurism. It's a film about cinema, Um ostensibly and metaphorically um it's a film that uses the brilliant concept of just one setting you're probably now starting to I get think we've got the same number four we might have yeah <laughs> it's a rear window film it, it is rear window yeah i've also yeah. got rear window at it's number a film four. which for me i mentioned the top three and you've, you've said your top yeah. four so obviously that was the other one in, yeah. in the mix for you I, I would put it just a tiny bit outside of my top three um just because actually i don't know why Probably just because there's an extra, an extra element in the other films, maybe. But with, with Rear Window, it's a brilliant idea. The, the concept is he's a photographer who's yeah. well, actually. Do you want to read? Because you've done notes on it. I've, to, I've done it, made a bit of a note. Well, yeah, I've copied some of the words off the IMDb. Uh, Wheelchair-bound photographer Jimmy Stewart spies on his neighbours from his apartment window and becomes convinced one of them is a murderer. Yeah, exactly. And that's all you need to know in terms of plot. And Grace um, Kelly plays his girlfriend. Yeah. This this film has so much going on in it. Um, first of all, it's a brilliant concept. The fact that you can film an entire um, feature film 
uh, popular film. I, I don't know how popular it was at the time. I think it was quite popular from what yeah, I yeah, remember exactly. reading. It's been hugely popular on the small screen through the years and whatever else, um, where everything is located in in one place. Um, yeah. It's his perspective because he's he's got a, an injury, I think, in the field, if I remember rightly, according to yeah. the story. So he's now suddenly housebound. He's an adventurer. He's a, he's a maverick. He's an on-the-road, uh, a hands-on guy, isn't he? He's a photographer. He's got a very yeah. strong passion for the job. He has a really glamorous girlfriend who's a model. And yeah. He quite rather... often punched above his weight, Jimmy Stewart, in a lot of films, didn't <laughs> yeah. he? Let's be perfectly honest. I don't know. He's an affable, lovable guy, isn't he? He's got some <laughs> handsome charm. But anyway, he, you know, he's got this girlfriend who, who he obviously adores, but who is creating a conflict in him because he wants to carry on being the man he is, the yeah. photographer, the adventurer, the the guy in the field, uh, the, the guy who's, who's got yeah. his feet on the ground, he's got his nose to the ground, um, and yet he's been emasculated by the injury. He's now yeah. stuck at home. Um, he's reluctantly agreeing, although probably kind of quite enjoying as well at the same time, the extra attention and the doting of this lovely girlfriend coming, who is Grace Kelly in, in the film. Yes. Um, and... Uh, that presents an interesting concept in its own right because there's lots of metaphors around uh, him. The camera with the extended lens, there's no, yeah. there's no two ways about it. Miss Torso. <laughs> and, Watching uh, the girl opposite to her warming up and then bring down, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, there's so many different meanings going on. It's a brilliant concept. You've got multiple windows on view to him yeah. as a resident in an ordinary-looking block. Um, I think it's back facing to back facing, isn't it, or something like yeah, that? It is, yeah, yeah. So you you get a, a little microcosmic glance into the lives of strangers, essentially. Yeah. Um, so you've got a ballet dancer, you've got a, a guy who turns out to be this guy on a suspicion for possible murder. You've got a woman with a dog who yeah. seems very emotionally unstable and rather loud. You've got the guy rehearsing, haven't you, for um, uh, a musical rehearsal yes. thing going on. There's various other things going on as well in smaller detail. And so you've got the whole to be looked at this thing again. You've got voyeurism. You've got him. A lot of voyeurism. Yes. Fine, basically. Yeah. It's yeah. What, it, what it does. It taps into something that so many of us know all too well in small details, in large details. Who knows? It's the Internet. It's back when you were a kid. Maybe when you're snatching a first glance as the opposite sex. Um, there's so many different things you yeah. can draw on in here. Um, there's the phallic symbol of the camera, the lens. Um, him being, say, taken away from his masculine uh, role. Um, There's her, there's the conflict. She's trying to get married with him. He's not keen because obviously it would tie him down. All those elements going on. But then you throw in the the Hitchcock intrigue. Is there a murder going on? What's going on? The suspense is there again. You know, he sets up several set pieces, which leave you on the edge of your seat. Um, it's just got so much in there. It's brilliant. And what's more, it's got one of my favourite um, side character or side actors, I call them, in film. And um, there's a few of them. There's Walter Brennan in John Wayne Westerns. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of others that don't come to mind. They'll come to me later. And there's Thelma Ritter. So Thelma Ritter plays the other person who's basically a housekeeper, I think, isn't she? Who yeah. comes in and also helps look after him. Uh, she's the dry, sardonic wit. She's the... She's the seasoned city girl who's got a, like a, a, a cynical eye on things. Uh, she's the conduit in a way, isn't she, between what he wants to be and what he yeah. should probably now be becoming uh, as, as a married man. Um, 
I just absolutely love the film. And the fact that I'm waxing so lyrical about it, and it's only a well, no, film, I mean, it's just, it's like everything. a, it's almost, it's almost like a perfect concept, isn't it? It's not, there's no kind of, it, you're drawn in straight from the first shot. It's, yeah. you're in there, you're in it, and, and, and there's those POV shots that you can see. So you're kind of look, which he did obviously quite a lot. So you're looking through his eyes at everything that's going on. It's, there's no warming up. Like some films take a while to get going. There's none of that. You're yeah. in, you're, 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 in, you're there. You're in his apartment. You're looking out. You're, you're, you're thinking, what, what's that going on over there? You know? Yeah. And is it paranoia? Is he overthinking it because he's stuck with far too much time in his hands and he's a, a guy who's obviously yeah. quite intelligent? Is, is that what's happening? He, he, his perspectives. I mean, the other thing with Hitchcock, I mean, it goes for Rebecca as well. And without struggling to recall whether it might be in Marnie too, um, there's a, there's a, the sense of ghost-likeness as well. Danvers in, in Rebecca, there's a couple of scenes where she's literally painted as a almost like a ghostly figure. There's yeah. something supernatural about the shot. He used to do a lot of things like that with the lighting as well, didn't he? Lighting, he did, there, exactly. There's a lot of that with, with the Bruno Anthony character in Strangers in the Train. He's Absolutely. Yeah, you've got yeah. Guy Haynes in the light, Bruno Anthony in the dark. And, yeah. yeah. And, and forgive me for getting ahead of myself, but I think we may, may possibly be mentioning Vertigo later in this podcast be, we we're do, going to have the same top four aren't we <laughs> it might be a slightly different order but... <laughs> yeah just um, I might change it on purpose on the heat of the moment um, but no with that the lighting whether there's a transformationary scene in, in Vertigo where lighting there's a ghost-like quality to that and you've got that in uh, in a couple of scenes in Rebecca and you've got that in Rear Window there's a scene where he's fallen asleep I think he's dozed off in the daytime I think yeah and he wakes up and she's there as this sort of this dream girl, this idyllic um, figure, both as a, as a smiling, doting fiancé, you know, soon-to-be yes. wife, but also as this dreamlike uh, figure who just is painted to seem almost unreal. Um, yeah, he's still reluctant to marry. Uh, and that, that element as well, it's just got so many elements in it which are... Oh, just yeah. brilliant. I mean, yeah. I mean, we talk talk about the lightning, uh, lighting. I think at the time it was one of the most expensive films ever made, which is kind of a bit strange for a film that is essentially in one single set. But what they had to do was build an entire block of Greenwich Village in a studio because Hitchcock famously pretty much refused to work outside because he couldn't yeah. control the light and to yeah. read up all the sound. And on some films. He, he'd have the orchestra playing in the music while he was filming. <laughs> so obviously yeah. that made, that's a bit difficult with, with something. So he, I mean, that's, that set that they built. I mean, they have the rain scenes. So they had to build all the drains for that. They had all the lights for the day and the lights for the night. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot yeah. of work went into it. Incredible. The control freak, freak element comes in again, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, it's a phenomenal film, and I dearly love it. I haven't seen it, actually, for a few years. I need to revisit it again. I watched it a couple um, of years ago last year. Yeah, I've, I've probably seen it roughly 10 times, I reckon, which is a lot for me. Yeah. I'm, being a big film fan, yes, that means you might end up watching films tons of times, but if you've got a broad knowledge or, or broad interest, um, you end up never having time, because the more you watch, the more you find out about the more there is to see, isn't it? Yeah. So, Seeing the old classics, um, I'm really looking forward now. You've, you've whet my appetite for it by our discussion today <laughs> with watching that one again. Yeah, yeah. it's, 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 it's a film I'd love, I'd love to watch at the cinema. I've, I've never seen a Hitchcock film at the cinema. Oh, have you not? Oh, no. well, they do things like the um, the BFI have seasons on. Um, I thoroughly they're on intermittently, so I thoroughly yeah. recommend it at one point. 
uh, when things are back to normal, uh, we say. In yes, this one day. Yeah. The, the only other thing I was going to say about this film, in terms of the one setting, um, he does that with rope as well, of course, yeah. um, just later. But um, there's also, there's not many, I can't think of many films, um, apart from ones that are more generally theatrically set, yeah. which have that sense of one location, but being very cinematic at the same time. No, 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 definitely. Um, more recently, in, in, in the modern era, you've had that with a number of films. You've mentioned horror earlier. There's the one, um, I've forgotten the name of it, where he's buried alive in the box, in the coffin, um, which is literally just in one tiny little space. Oh, okay. You've got um, you've got loads of films, horror, horror predominantly, but not exclusively. You get loads of yeah, films. Yeah, obviously one of the greatest films of all time, Evil Dead 2. It's it's all in the shack and all in the cabin in the woods. Yeah, so so it's been done a number of times afterwards. How much of that you could call a tribute to Hitchcock or not, I don't know. Um, but certainly it wasn't a common concept at the time. Um, we'll probably talk about Hitchcock influences on cinema in general later as well, actually. Because... Well, there are one or two directors that have made a bit of a career of just completely ripping him off. <laughs> Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did that as well. We've yeah. got the same cough at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But you see it in loads of stuff from whether it's Twelve Monkeys and stuff obvious like that. Yeah. Um, Terry Gilliam's used it a lot. There's loads of um, loads, I mean, you, I, I've seen it multiply in so many different films and TV programs. I've lost count and I can't yeah. even remember. I've I've forgotten more than I can remember. Probably we're talking hundreds uh, of very obvious influences most recent for me was watching uh ratchet on netflix oh okay the music, yes the music in that is so bernard herman i know that's not exactly yeah. hitchcock as such but i think it's you, so you identify it don't you yeah the visuals are very much of that golden era of hitchcock that we just talked about that middle section of his career um i think it's hitchcock influenced as much as it is yeah. herman influenced. yeah so any anything more to say on our, our joint i think there i think yeah number four well, excellent, yeah. So there we go. So we've gone Rebecca at five and Marnie at five. We've gone rear window four each. We've got um, number three. Do you want to do that before or after the next break? Yeah, let's go on. Let's go on to number three and then take a take, take okay. a quick break. Yeah. Well, this is where it gets really difficult. I mean, do you want me to go yeah. first again? Go for it. Okay. I've, um, it is agony, absolute agony. And yeah. I could interchange these at any point whatsoever. Um I'm Number pretty sure we've got the same top three, and so we'll see what order they're in. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, I've got to say, firstly, if my wife's watching, she'll probably criticise me, because I have previously described this as the best film ever made, even though it's massively flawed, um, and I've now put it at number three. I could have put them in any order, though, really. They're all, they're all brilliant. I've gone for Vertigo, number three. Um, it's a film that is truly extraordinary. It's got Jimmy Stewart in it again. There's no other um, film quite like it, really, is there? There isn't, mean. and and I think amongst the films, and again we just mentioned Ratchet, that's that's the uh, the soundtrack that was influenced in in that in that story. Um, he the the new uh, Bernard Herrmann's one of my two favourite film composers, joint top film composers. I should say that first of all, music plays a massive massively important yeah. part in this film, right from the off, from the very first scenes. And and if you are watching any films in the cinema Hitchcock related. I recommend this one first because this this is the most cinematic for me yeah. of all his films. It's powerful. The blast of those those horns at the beginning, um, the psychedelic imagery, the Saul Bass titles. The the cast is um, 
is one of the flaws. I think Kim Novak is miscast. There's a massive age difference, isn't there? Yeah. Let's be honest. It doesn't look like a compatible couple in any in, in any sense. I guess yes. maybe you could argue that's uh, in itself could be a metaphor, but uh, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's just he wanted to go for her, and she was the choice. And I'm not I'm not sure. I I, I would have gone for somebody else in that role probably. But Jimmy uh, Stewart's thought, fantastic. But he's, think, he is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I think this is definitely his best Hitchcock performance. I mean, he did four films with him. Yeah, and I think this is definitely They're the best. Good. And that's the best. Yeah, I mean, the music's brilliant. Apart from the Kim Novak element, I think the casting's great. The concept is great. He's an ex-cop, now doing some private detective work. He's got a, an old school friend, I think it is, isn't it? All it is, yeah. He's, he's just retired, isn't he? Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's at a loose end, and he's asked to, to look out for um, the uh, the wife of this. Well, I think he's like an industrial magnet or something, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's suspicious of what she's up to, wants him to check out. What's going on? And it's the only other thing to mention is why he retired. Yes. Uh, so he, well, so the opening scene, strictly speaking, he, he retired due to um, a fear of heights, which is agoraphobia. But that, and because fear of vertigo is actually, and I look this up, this is the false sense of rotational movement. But vertigo yeah. is a much better sounding title than agoraphobia. So they call it for vertigo. Exactly. Cooler, even though it's not really vertigo that he's got. It's <laughs> yeah, there's, there's elements of it. You could say circularity is another word that gets used a lot in Hitchcock. In fact, you could you, it, it's there as a visual metaphor in, in the film, the spiralling descent yeah. scene. There's Kim Novak's hairstyle as seen from behind, the spiralled kind of bun hairstyle. These are blatant, honed in on close-up kind of uh, scenes. Spiral, spiralling vicious circles, spiralling into despair, vortex, yeah. all of those words you could use to describe elements of this film. Um, the concept, as you said, he's, he's, he's at a loose end, he's hired to look up, out for her and check out what's going on. He gets infatuated with her. Something happens. I mean, yes. has anyone not seen this film? Do we need no. to? Well, yeah, Surely. perhaps not. Maybe. Well, let's, let's not, because we don't need no, to. No, anyone no, no. Maybe at some point my daughters might listen to this and decide they want to watch it. We shall see. Okay, yeah. Well, something happens anyway, which changes the narrative halfway through it in quite a jarring scene, I think you could say. There's later plot twists as well. how much you can you can gauge what's going to happen in that plot twist is well you i mean it's one of those ones you really don't know what is happening for most (laughs) most of the film and yeah uh, yeah it's yeah it's it's very unpredictable yeah for me again going back to those early scenes with the the scene with the well as they're calling it vertigo scene at the beginning um where he he, he gets injured during a oh yeah gets a trauma basically from a, a, a work scenario um and the way the soundtrack kicks in, it puts you into the sense, particularly in the cinema, of just descending into a, a dream. You're just, you're just swept out of normal yeah. life. People talk about immersive cinema. For me, I can't stand 3D. I can't stand... IMAX is fine, but 3D and all this stuff with the seats rumbling around, that's it's not like immersive. Gimmick. It's gimmicky, isn't it's it? It's gimmicky. Immersive means you are completely absorbed in yeah. the film. And this film, for me... It's one of my favourite films of all time, and I'm putting it at number three in the list of the director. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, it absolutely bowls me over. I can watch it over and over again. I you think it's supposed it... to be Martin Scorsese's favourite film, I think, so yeah, you can understand yeah. why. 
you can see different things in it every time you watch it. Um, you, you can derive different meanings from it. There's different angles to look at. It deals with voyeurism. It deals with um, obsession. It deals with dupl- duplicity yes. um, say on, on multiple levels. It deals with the spiral theme that we just mentioned. Several other metaphors as well are heavily used. The music is superb. The acting is yeah. superb. The script is great. I love it. I love the notion of it all. It's got a couple of bits, apart from Kim Navek's casting, there's something else in it which has kind of bordered on comical, which we probably better not mention for plot spoiling yes. reasons, um, towards the end, which does kind of almost seem laughable rather than dramatic yeah. as it probably intended. But um, despite that, those flaws, it is a work of absolute genius. It's a strange one. I was reading about how it how it came to be. So it's written by there. there there's uh, two French authors whose names I can't remember, and uh, they wrote a whole series of crime fiction. And Hitchcock picked up on one of them and particularly liked it. Uh, and that big mate was made, I think, the year a year or two before. Was late, they died by leak, and Hitchcock yes. wanted that. But once that had been made, he was like, "Well, I can't." I can't make it now. They've made it. And they kind of went, well, we've got this other one that's coming out. Now you can have that if you want. And he was like, all right. Yeah. Think about it. It's one of the greatest films ever. It's a, a strange bird thing. I mean, they, they, they die by league. It's obviously a film that's well worth watching. Yeah. I'd love to have seen his take on it as well. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've actually, I've read the book retrospectively after I've seen the film. It's, it's interesting. It's quite a short book. And yeah, I mean, it, it felt like reading a, almost like feeling, felt like reading a script in a way. Cause it, I don't know, I just knew the story so well, even the, the bits that I wasn't reading, I felt like I was reading. <laughs> it was like yeah. that. But Le Dolby League's a great film as well, actually, by the way. Yeah, really yeah, good. I could have seen Hitchcock making that too. No, yeah. no, yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. his it's, type. It's, it's a film that's, I think it's studied, I, I did film studies, it's studied in detail there, it's studied wherever you go uh, in terms of anything film or media related. It, it is a benchmark of cinema in so many different ways. The mise-en-scene, as they call it, the, yeah. to use the pretentious term, the framing of the shots, what's in the shot, the contents, how it's presented, where it's presented. Um, the lighting, it's got that really fun, we mentioned the Coen brothers, that fun yeah. element of that colour. It's, it's a perfect example of that era. It, it's, a, well. it's a good advertisement for San Francisco. I mean, if you go to San Francisco now, you can get tours where you get taken around, where all the bits were sort of set and where they were all filmed, so you can visit them all. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, indeed. And along with Bullet, I think probably the two most famous films for the actual city, for that city as well, aren't they? Yeah. No, no, you've got to see The Rock. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I credit where it's due. <laughs> I <laughs> Excellent. Well, because we're having these beers, I, I, nature calls, I'm actually going to have to break to go to okay. the I'll be politely holding on. But I don't think I'm going to make it through your number three on the assumption that it's not Vertigo. Is that right? If I, if I just finish up very, very quickly on Vertigo, is obviously yeah, one, of the, one of the greatest films ever made. And when it came out, it was universally panned by almost every single critic. So shows what they know. They didn't, under, they didn't understand the romance element. And they didn't understand yeah. quite a lot what was going on. Quite a lot of Hitchcock's films were panned when they came out. Um, yeah. All of the more interesting ones, should we say. Yeah, and like, I think... And, it, and there's obviously been a lot of re-evaluation since. Yeah, and for me, I don't know if it's just my interpretation of it, but for me, it feels like, um, despite being very clearly an American film in everything, but, 
you know, the, the obvious exceptions. It does feel for me ostensibly quite British as well, because it's about hang-ups. It's about um, yeah. the voyeurism. I think a certain, there's a certain sense, particularly historically, with British sexuality, especially male sexuality, yeah. is it's, it's full of so many hang-ups. And those are kind of played out in the story. You know, a guy who's got an, a, a disproportionate obsession with someone that's about the spying on them, the, the voyeurism, which in various forms people might have either fantasised about well, what would it be like if you followed someone around uh, or yeah. this, that or the other. It, it, it gives, as Hitchcock often does, it gives a platform for you to follow a character that will do that thing that you've thought of, fantasised about maybe. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's very American, but it's also very British, which is why it's a happy happy combination. And it's one of many of his films that has the, um, has been, had the Mickey take jokes done about, I mean, from the Simpsons to Mel Brooks film, how high anxiety, there are bits of it that are just bit that people have taken the piss out of quite a lot. Let's be honest. Yeah. But you know, it has to be quite iconic in order for people to be able to take the piss out of it. In a way, I think whether you call it backhanded or otherwise, it's a compliment, isn't it? Yeah. one way or the other. And it's been referenced in, as you said, in film comedy, in so many different um, forms that uh, it really does stand out. Well, I'm going to have to go to the okay. movie. These beers, you know, we've, we're getting through them. <laughs> we, we're going to pause. We've got your number number four to come, haven't we, next? Three uh, to come. Number three, sorry, your number three to come next. So just to quickly update before, before we break, I've gone for Re- Rebecca at five, you've gone for Marnie. We've both gone four at number four rear window. At number three, I've gone Vertigo, and your number three is coming up after this short break. Classic teaser trailer territory. (laughs) Love it. Right, I'm going to go and get a beer then. Right, nature has called. It has been relieved, intended to. We're back with part three, and we are refueled on beer as well. I'm going for an Arbor Faked Alaska. And I'm on the, the Lefe Blonde, which Ooh. has got significantly higher alcohol content than my previous beer. So uh, this should be fun. Yeah, this one too. <laughs> it's mine's a pudding IPA because it's it's time for dessert, isn't it? It's time for the really sweet stuff. There we and go. You've gone for, I know you've gone for a blonde during a Hitchcock podcast. That's a... <laughs> it has to be done. <laughs> that's a, I'm sure the, uh, that's not been lost on anyone. Um, I've also been joined by my cat, who is a redhead. Um, which is possibly going to lead to some interruptions during this pod. Hopefully not. Okay, we're, we're back in with the second part of our number threes. I've gone for mine. You've got yours to, to mention now. You yeah, haven't so gone for third. Who have you gone for? I've gone for number three. I've gone for Psycho. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty obvious, really. For those that don't know, a secretary, Janet Lee, embezzles $40,000 from our employer's client and goes on the run. She checks into a remote motel where a young man lives dominated by his mother. And yeah. I think I think in, when we get onto this one, all spoilers are off. <laughs> Let's be perfectly honest. All right. So if you um, don't if you, if you don't know what yeah, what happens in this film, then where the bloody hell have you been your whole exactly. life? Exactly. Right, listen, if you are if you genuinely haven't listened, uh, haven't seen this film, at this point, pause the podcast, go and watch the film, and then come back to come this. Back. As and when, whenever you yeah. need to, beyond then, because uh, we're going to plot spoil our way through this now. Yeah, now this, um, yeah. I'll, I think I mean, we have to with this. To be fair, there's so much going on in this film, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. You know, it's, it's 
uh, so just to sort of set the scene, um, Hitchcock wanted to make this film. I think the studio were very much of that. You're not making that. <laughs> you've, you, you've been making us hit after hit after hit. That's a strange film. So he essentially, he, he, he'd been making all his films in colour for a few years leading up to this. I mean, this came out in 60. Yeah. I'm not sure when his previous black and white film was, but it was probably in the 40s, I would have thought. Yeah. Did he make any colour films in the 50s? Yeah. Yeah, he got the crew from his TV series. Um, he got a fairly cheapish cast by his standards, and uh, and made a film that people have been talking about ever since, and will talk about for forever because it's mad. <laughs> yeah, and um, for me, this unsurprisingly, I can now reveal this is in my top two. I'll say where later on. Uh, yeah, I mean, superb choice, certainly to be in the top three. Um, obviously I think it should have been a higher film <laughs> but it's it is a film that is utterly brilliant in every way it's it's again brilliant casting uh, the music is brilliant again um, it's audacious the music it, is incredible I mean yeah right from the office I mean the scene the scene in particular which I'm sure we'll get into originally they were going to do that quietly with no sound and yeah, I think, yeah. and then Bernard Herrmann came up with a, no, I think we should do this. And I think Hitchcock was like, yeah. you're right, I should do that. Yeah, and credit where credit's due. It's not, you know, film is a collaborative process. And much as I adore Hitchcock and he is a genius, yes, he collaborated too. And yeah, Herrmann gets credit for that, uh, 100%. Uh, the scene, of course, being the shower scene, we'll come, come to yeah. that in a little bit. Um, but, but first of all, yeah, I mean, the earlier scenes, the music really informs the narrative. She's running away from her office with some money. Um, the wipers are going. I mean, even starting right at the very beginning, this was, by its standards, very, very ahead of its time. In 1960, you did not start a film with two people in their underwear having a cuddle in bed yeah, that aren't true. married. It just, <laughs> that just didn't happen. And then yeah. she's one looking around in her underwear. In the 70s, yes. In 1960, yeah. that, that, that's just, that just yeah, didn't happen. Tough. So you, I think he was very much, I mean, Hitchcock was very much of the, right, well, I, I think he made it, he, I think he ended up having to basically pay for the film himself. You probably know about this better than I do. Yeah, um, yeah more or less. Yeah. In, it, more in the end, because nobody would really wanted to bankroll it. And I think it made him a pretty penny indeed. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, as you said, um, I forgot about that. Of course, the early scene. Yeah. I mean, it's, that was audacious in its own right. Um, the, the, they were having a, uh, was it extramarital affair? Yeah. It was, yeah. wasn't it? That's right. And it's lunchtime kind of, uh, what's the word? I'm looking for the French word that describes it. A, <sighs> yeah, a scandal food. nap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, they were in a, the kind of hotel room that rents out by the hour. <laughs> yeah. And she goes off with some money, and she's quite clearly the chief protagonist of this story, Janet Lee. Yeah, um, Marion uh, Marion Crane, I think, is the name, yes, isn't it? That's it yeah. yeah, which in itself is interesting because crane animals are a theme of this story as well for me, yeah. amongst many other things. Um, she goes and she she ends up coming a cropper in the end by. Well, I say in the end, it's not the end of the film. It's it's audaciously early in the story, yes. which is the first plot story, spoiler. If you didn't turn off, it's your own fault. It's more. pretty much about halfway through, isn't it? It's just before the halfway yeah, point, I think. before halfway, I think, yeah. Um, she, she ultimately just um, stumbles upon this motel that's, uh, 
I think it's, it's becoming obsolete because of uh, a new the, the road new bypass had been built, yeah. and so no one ever stopped there. Yeah, but due to the weather and whatever else, she's happened upon it. It's it's um, remote. It's isolated. There's a young guy who seems to be a little bit odd, but it's kind of sort of charming in a way at the same time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, the disarming element. A little bit backwards, but backward but conversational. Yeah, yeah. but with and with an interesting taxidermy. <laughs> 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 and a whole room full of it behind the back where we kind of hung out to hide from his mum yeah yeah you've got you've got hitchcock is just going to town here the taxidermy animals birds of prey metaphors camera angles showing perspective who who's the quarry who's the prey who puts her in a room where he can look through a little hole into a hole yeah so again you've got voyeurism yeah. to, to be looked at this and all that sort of stuff you've got uh the whole backwards and forwards um, narrative going on. He, um, every single time I watch this film, apart from the fact, as you said, it's a black and white film, well after he'd stopped generally doing black and white films. Um, it's beautifully shot. It's a really good looking film. Firstly. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think they had, I mean, there's a lot of use, something he did a lot of his films was the use of light and dark, particularly in the black and white films. Yeah. And he, I mean, if you think of Strangers on the Train in Shadow of a Doubt, yeah. you can see the yeah. real use of it there. And he, he's obviously gone from it here right down to that. I mean, there must have been a day when they were on set and they went, right, today we're going to do the shower scene. I think one of the reasons they did it in black and white was obviously to save money, but also so the shower scene wouldn't be very, very gory. Because yeah. I don't think you could have done this film in colour in 1960. No, but they must have been experimenting. They must have had a day where they were just filming different types of ingredients to make up blood to see which one looked the most the bloody and most cinematic before they came across chocolate syrup or whatever it was that they actually used. In the <laughs> yeah. <end. laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it's a it's genius. The, the shower scene. We'll get onto that now. The shower scene is genius. The music is one hundred percent vital to how good that film is. It's a and documentary film just about that shower. I haven't seen it, I must be honest. Just about, oh, have like, about that. Have you seen it? Yeah. Because yeah. there's something like 77 different camera angles, 77 different camera angles in a three-minute shot. Yeah. 50 cuts. That's just mad when you think about it. And, and you've got the uh, the violins, you've got the stabbing sounds of the music, which is a musical metaphor for the knife going in. You, of course, famously... It was very, it was very, very cleverly done because... I think he put it. He sent it into the like the um, board of censors, and there were I don't know, say five or six of them. I don't think, and three of them said, "Yeah, that's fine." The other three came back and said, "No, we can see the knife going into the body," which I don't think actually happened. Yeah. And then they said, "Go back and change it." So he took it away, sat on it, gave him the same feel back again, and they and they were, "Yeah, yeah, no, that's all right now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that did apparently happen indeed. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, I mean, famously. You think you've seen more than you have, which I think is a, a testament to brilliant yeah. filmmaking. Um, it's the editing, it's the the shots, composure of the shots, and obviously the music. And those three elements created what is probably just about the most famous scene in film history. Yeah. Uh, it's up there. Uh, and, yeah, this is another one that we might be mentioning soon. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> well, there is. Yeah. In fact, yeah. you could probably argue two two scenes in the film that I think you're talking about. But anyway, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, it's got so many hugely influential elements. Again, you've got beautiful photography that we mentioned. You've got um, 
I, mean, I, can't, I can't think of a film that was as ahead of its time. Yeah. Any film that was as far ahead of its time as as this film. I mean, it pretty much it got it got it got a bit. It was kind of like the the granddaddy of the slasher genre, and it kind of kind of gave birth to a lot of films that are not nearly half so clever. Although some of them are quite fun, obviously. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's true, but it feels like Psycho, the expression was born of that film as well. I don't know if it was yeah. used commonly beforehand, but obviously it's an abbreviation of of the words yeah. that it's related to. But it. You know, it feels like when people talk about psychos, particularly in relation to horror or thrillers or anything like that, um, you can't help thinking it's the yeah. heritage of that film, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Whenever I say we say he's a psycho, they're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're thinking Norman Bates. Yeah. And Norman Bates, Anthony Perkins, the casting is sublime. I mean, he's not a very he's famous actor. You've mentioned about the budget being relatively low, and I'm sure he came fairly cheap. He's absolutely perfect. He looks yeah. like a bird of prey. He looks like a hawkish, sort of skinny but predatory character. And as you say, that... he has that certain kind of little kind of—I don't want to say hillbilly charm, but you—you you, you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. Yeah, because he does have a genuine in certain conversational scenes. He does have a genuine sense of charm. You know, he seems like a likable, affable guy, a bit shy. Nothing more than that. Which is probably yeah. what another version of him might have ended up being. In, yeah. in a more, should we, should we say a more normal upbringing? <laughs> I, um, you've obviously read a lot of the. Have you read the book of this? You've read a book of a few others. Have you uh, read the Robert Block? Book? I haven't read the book of this. No, no, no. So apparently, in the book, he's much older and an alcoholic. And really? I think that, yeah. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah I think sure it works. <laughs> yeah, it works perfectly well. How I think how he is. I mean, obviously, famously, Hitch bought up every single copy of the book that was in existence so that no one could read it ahead of it, the film coming out and spoil the surprise. He w- wouldn't give any showings to the press ahead because he didn't want to, sp- they'd have to queue up and pay like anybody else because he didn't want to spoil the surprise. And he, I mean, he instructed theatres, as they call them in America, to not let people in after it had started. Yeah, well. that was, there's a no admittance policy, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't care who you were or how important you were. If the film had started... That was it. You weren't coming something in. about when you're coming out of the film, there was something about uh, avoiding plot spoilers for the next audience, wasn't there, as well? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's one of the few films with a with a kind of really, really... Uh, it, I mean, it's up there with Empire Strikes Back as one of the few films that has a big reveal. But the film's brilliant anyway. So you've got other films like The Crying Game, which has got a big plot twist, but it's not that good a film, really. Let's be perfectly honest. It's all yeah, right. Yeah. It's nothing special. But this one is a really, really good film. But, but yeah. that's regardless. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And it's yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's it's a film that's just got so much about it. And so it's beautifully shot. The the other famous scenes have got. I mean, there's three. I think there's three scenes in it which really have my skin crawling. Uh, at the time I first saw them. Yeah. Um, I didn't see it on the big screen the first time around, but I have seen it a couple of times since on the big screen. Can't get enough of it. Um, and it really, it still gets you going, even though you know what's coming. And that's also a testament yeah. to the, the craft of the filmmaking side of, of the film. You know, the, not, not just the narrative side, the fact it draws you in. And I think any good film, and we'll talk about horror, I'm sure, variously, yeah in the future but any film where you know what's coming or what's likely to come and you're still scared thrilled exhilarated i think one of one of one of the things that hitchcock was very very good at was 
his baddies were really nice people on the surface at least you could kind of identify with them and they were really chatty and really friendly they were obviously you know and I'll, I'll come back to Strangers on a Train and Bruno Anthony which fantastic mm. film watch it obviously but the you know these were these these characters they weren't you know Darth Vader I mean these were they, they all seemed perfectly normal perfectly yeah. nice perfectly chatty perfectly friendly which is the real world isn't it People yeah. are multiplayer. They're not just black and white villains. It's not just cowboys wearing black hats because they're the villains. You know, it's, yeah. There's there's more nuances to it, and as you said, for for the time as well, when a lot of people were making films exactly like that, as, as binary as that, Hitchcock was making films which had. Yeah. It's, had... it's not a John Ford film by any, any stretch <laughs> yeah. of the imagination. Yeah, and it, it's a superb choice, um, Phil. I think. Um, I'm, Pretty glad it's made your top through three. I'm disappointed it didn't get higher. Um, so, if so have you ever watched any of the sequels or the spin-offs or the TV shows or anything? Because um, uh, because the, the no, Hitchcock no, wouldn't no. allow allow any of them to happen, wouldn't he? So literally, yeah. as soon as soon as Hitchcock dropped dead, Psycho Two went into <laughs> into, yeah. into production. I think Psycho Three, Anthony Perkins actually, you know, he directed himself. I think. Um, yeah. I've I've seen the reviews and and I have no desire to really kind of go. No, I mean, we've touched on it before, but for me, if a film is perfect, and this film, my my words, this is perfect. This film, yeah. there isn't a single frame out of out of place here. There isn't a single hair out of place, actor wise, yeah. uh, metaphorically speaking. Um, there's we mentioned about this this shot for shot remake. It's utterly utterly pointless. Yeah, it, it's so perfect that you can't even make a meritable reworking of the theme to any worthwhile degree. And I think it's for that reason I've never, no, I've never seen any of the... No, I mean, I've heard that Bates Motel TV series is quite good, but I haven't watched it. Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. I'll get, maybe I will get around to it at some point. Yeah. But, uh, Actually, I'd say I've not I seen... I mean, lockdown, what else is there to do? <laughs> yeah. i say I've not seen any of the Psycho stuff. Unfortunately, the one thing Psycho-related I've seen, apart from Psycho, is the remake, because I was doing some reviews for a local paper in Hampshire when I was doing the, the film course. Um, and I had to watch it for that reason. And it was, okay. it was I, I was fairly moderate with my, my damning condemnation of it, I think, as I remember. Um, one other thing to mention on it before we move on to the next one, um, the trailer. Have you seen the trailer from any of the special features, DVDs and all that? Is it the one with Hitchcock talking about it? He, yeah, he, he, he basically did the trailers for most of his films where he just walk around going, what could happen here? Yeah, yeah. he walks around the <laughs> set um, starting to talk about something and then stopping himself going, no, maybe I shouldn't mention that. So he's feeding into this whole yeah. narrative of the mystery around the story, which is, it's show, he's a showman, isn't he? He, he is the, I mean, the yeah. guy. One thing we actually haven't mentioned yet is is obviously the famous cameos. where. Yeah he would turn up in every single one of his films. But after a few films, it got so famous that people would be concentrating <laughs> on watching the film to see where he was at the, expense, at the expense of actually following the plot. So after a certain point, he's literally in the first five minutes of, of all of yeah. them, isn't he? Yeah, uh, that's right. Just to get it out of the way so people could then concentrate properly yeah. on the film. Is that is that good self-awareness, knowing that there was a danger that his... I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so yeah. How he managed to get some of the, I mean, I, I watched Lifeboat last week, and how he even managed to get his little picture of him in the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> that's, he, that's my favourite. I mean, maybe this could be a top five 
um, Hitchcock cameos could be a future episode. But that was my favourite cameo, I think, because it's so funny. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weight loss plan or something like that, isn't it? Obviously, he did struggle a little bit with his weight. I, I, I looked into something about how much what he used to have for dinner every night, oh. and it was ridiculous. He used to have like a, a kind of a full roast with a bottle of wine and yeah. bread and all the trimmings and a load of brandies and then and then he went he would go on a diet where he basically have black coffee for breakfast black coffee for lunch and then a dirty great steak for dinner and he'd yeah. lose a little bit then he'd, he'd seesaw back and forth between the only word i've got in my head i don't know if you suffer from it or not but the only word that's come to mind is the word gout at this stage <laughs> he looked like he yes. was ripe for it yeah um yeah, I mean, actually, just quickly digressing on the matter of food, food played its role in his films as well. I really like Frenzy. Do you remember the, the cop in Frenzy? I've seen that in a long time. That's one of his, that, was that his last film, second to last film? I yeah, think, wasn't it? and there's a yeah. running joke in that where his wife keeps making all these crazy dinners that he doesn't like and he just wants some good, honest, hearty meals and he's getting all this experimental cuisine. <laughs> and <laughs> food, food and morbidity and sexuality and misogyny are recurring themes in his films and blondes, I think. yeah and blondes yeah but food is is, is a running joke he, he has that a lot in his films um no coincidence i think i mean just i mean i don't think we haven't really spoken about it yet but the way that he treated his leading ladies mm. um when making psycho um led to believe that he had a few different bodies made up of mother and he was trying to work out which one was the most scary, so he'd leave them in Janet Lee's trailer just to find when she came back from shooting, see which see which one scared her the most before before choosing which one to use. Yeah. What, what a bastard! I mean, come on. Really he'd, he'd, he'd already left her unable to ever take a shower again by all accounts. She refused to ever have one again after that. So is that right? Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's. that's... <laughs> <laughs> bit of information I've missed. Blimey. Yeah, I mean, things can scar you from an early age. Getting locked up in a prison cell by your dad, for example. Yeah, maybe. Well, he, um, I'm not sure how true this is, but I'm um, in Strangers in a Train. I, I He, there is a, there is an urban myth, and I'm not sure how true it is. His daughter was in the film, Patricia. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's a Ferris wheel. Um, where he built a kind of carnival, and he and there was a and she, he wanted her scared for her scene, and she had a bad fear of heights, just like he did. So he put her up to the top of the Ferris wheel, turned all the power off, left her there to scream for an hour, turned it back on, got her back, and came and did the film. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but the, the story goes that way. I wouldn't that's be his surprised. Own daughter, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. And um, there you go. There's the, the same recurring theme: parental deliberate torture with an unknown perspective on time involved. yeah yeah that's quite <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's uh history repeating itself isn't it you, yes. you say what your parents do tends to get recurred into your own parenting i'm not i'm not a parent myself so i don't know but i don't know if you've uh you've got your kids into drinking underage for example but <laughs> <laughs> not yet <laughs> not yet <laughs> <laughs> so yes uh, anything else you wanted to mention on psycho um um i i'm not sure there is i think i think we've covered it all pretty much i, I said the trailer mentioned the trailer didn't i um saying that that whole notion of him being the showman he, he's he's there to to tease the crowd to warm them up to play with them he's, he's there introducing long-winded trailers long-winded in a good way trailers yeah. like psycho 
he's there doing Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He's, he's presenting yeah. that programme. He's appearing in the first five minutes in cameos on films. He's a showman, isn't he? And his films, oh, as you said, they, they are brilliant. They are tactically, um, I think you can call it, technically, definitely, yeah. um, and, and entertainment-wise, they are brilliant. And I think when we get into one of your top two, we're talking about the absolute epitome of what you would call a blockbuster, yes. which is also it's, it's hugely enjoyable film. It's the most enjoyable of his films, but it's also amongst his best. It's again, it's a perfect film. I'm presuming, um, yeah, yeah. We'll come to that in a moment. Don't, don't we'll say that. <laughs> yeah, but so, I thought you were like seemingly tra- seamlessly transitioning into your number two. Then I am actually seamlessly, or am I? Am I? I might be. It's a teaser. It's a teaser. No, I mean, again, I could have had this in any order. Yes, I am going to put it at number two. North by Northwest. Um, what a film. Oh, this is the one you're talking about, the iconic scenes, isn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's, I mean, yeah. It's got that was, everything. Sorry, we'll, we'll, <laughs> on, we'll get on to it. it. We'll get on to it later, yeah. Is it, sorry, was it your number two, did you say? No. I didn't think so. You've gone for it number one, haven't you? So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm ultimately I am slightly dri- oh yeah uh, yeah spoiler it's my number one because, I mean I'm I am I'm sort of slightly seeing it through kind of rose tinted glasses in the fact that this is the first first Hitchcock film I ever saw was North by oh, Northwest right. as wow. a, I'm not oh, sure how old I was I think I was probably eight or nine or something like that and I just remember sitting down at Christmas or a bank holiday or whatever it is and sitting down and watching this film with my parents and thinking with the exception of James Bond and Star Wars, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> yeah. What you a know. first film. I think mine might have been Rear Window. I'm not really sure. Yeah. TV. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's no surprise that this this goes in the top two. I'm, I'm not surprised it's your number one because, sorry, we plot spoiled it's, this one. It's, it's a film film. It's, it's a... It's yeah. a it's a blockbuster. It, by it was all a film I successfully named in your top ten. Put it that way. Yeah. So I already knew this was going to be number one. But um, yeah, I mean, it's got everything. Again, it's got brilliant soundtrack. It's got several superb and iconic set pieces. Yeah. Uh, famous scenes. It's got Cary Grant. What more could you want? Cary it's got Grant, Saul really. Bass on the on doing the um the graphics for the opening scenes. Um, it's got my favourite kind of general fun plots plot scenario of mistaken identity and espionage and intrigue yeah it's i got- mean i'm surprised this is i mean strangely speaking for two middle-aged men we have pretty much chosen his most voyeuristic films yeah what and, does that say uh, <laughs> and we haven't really and the fact that we've got sort of number one and two and it's the first time that we mention mistaken identity I looked it up. Eleven of his fifty-three films are about mistaken identity, yeah, and a large number of them about what he called the MacGuffin. And this yeah, is obviously exactly. the first time that we've mentioned that as well. Yeah. So for those that aren't aware of it, a MacGuffin—I'm not quite sure what the, t- the technical term is—but it's an object that everybody in the film's chasing that plays no part in the plot really whatsoever. So in it's this a, case, a, a, it's a bit of microfilm that everybody wants, but you don't really care about who gets it. It doesn't matter what the microfilm is, does it? No, yeah. it's no one's even remotely interested. It's a probably a plot contrivance or a plot conceit. You'd probably yeah. call it something like that. Yeah, it basically it, it's it's the it's the thing that drives the narrative, but it is not important in the narrative. Is yeah. probably the way to to explain it. Um, 
yeah, the Goffins are great. And um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 well, it drives the suspense, doesn't it? Because you've, you've got, um, is it Sabotage, the one on the bus, where there's a kid? Yeah. It's, a, it's the film where he said it was his one big mis- big regret in film. When he killed, he blew the bus up or whatever. It yeah, was, he blow, it? yeah, the bus blows up, the kid is killed, Spoiler, and he actually regretted that. He thought that was just too much. Um, but but it was all an exercise in suspense. You knew there was a bomb on board. Uh, the kid didn't, obviously, and the guy yeah. on, on on the bus. We didn't know what's going on with him. What it, what he was going to do, and uh, yeah, I mean that. It's, it's, you could call it a misstep. I kind of quite like the fact he did that because it was so mm-hmm. shocking that it was yeah. something in a different field, wasn't it? Yeah. You're talking about mistaken identity, the wrong man, the name yeah. of one of his films. Yes. Just says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, you're right. Mistaken identity is another big motif. The man um, who us- knew too much, which he made and then remade. Yeah, 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 that's Jimmy Stewart again in the in the remake. Yeah, the remake far more available than the original, but the original's good. I haven't seen the original. Yeah, I have seen I'm... the re. I watched the remake only a couple of weeks ago, and um, I mean, which brings us on to something else that I can't believe we haven't mentioned, um, which is the use of famous locations. So in the in the oh. man in, in you too much, he finished it up with a big sort of set piece at the Royal Albert Hall, obviously North by Northwest, without going to too much spoiler territory, Mount Rushmore's in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he loves that. He loves a big set piece. Statue of Liberty's featured. That's Sabotage. Or Saboteur, or Saboteur, I think that was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he loves a good set piece. He loves that sense of place, the enormity of things. Um, there's, the thing is, with, with Hitchcock, there's so many different major subjects you could go into a lot of detail on that, that, that we would need a 10-hour podcast to, yeah. to cover it already <laughs> and more reading as well uh, but <laughs> but um yeah i mean that, that's that's right the mistaken identity is is good fun uh, the man yes, i think fun. he he Both really saw it as he liked the the viewer to identify with 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 the protagonists which is why you had the nice baddies but it also meant that you had the people that were just pulled in from nowhere, like even beginning with Rebecca, uh, you know, Joan Fontaine, she's kind of dropped in it really. And like, right, let's see how you get on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you've gone for, uh, no, I've gone for North by Northwest at number two. No, no, we're talking, well, I've lost track. Where were we? (laughs) Yes. I think you've gone for North by Northwest at number two. Number two. That's right. So, it's got everything. Um, the other, the other scene, of course, that we haven't mentioned, but we've referred to, is the crop yeah. duster scene. Um, I think Empire Magazine said that was the greatest shot or scene in in film history. Um, I wouldn't go quite that far, but it's definitely up um, up there. I mean, even I mean, this film came out sixty or over sixty years ago, and it's still a set piece to watch. You yeah, know, that's tense That's now. Good time you watch it. You've you've seen it. You've seen it five times before. Yeah. That's it comes around you're you're transfixed again, you see the plane you? coming in yeah yeah um it's been used because it it's got a kind of an animated quality hasn't it i think it can be used in people could depict it in cartoon form in sort of you know silhouetted kind of artistic form people could paint thing paint images of it yeah. references to it i'm sure it's been done in films before but the original is is just so iconic it just it's a, it's a masterpiece in 
in filmmaking. The, the setup, the location, the establishing shots, what you're seeing, how you're hearing the plane come, when you're seeing it come. Um, yeah. The realisation of the character just after you have. Everything is just absolutely perfect. It's like um the perfect it's like the wine that tastes the best. It's like yeah. it's like the masterpiece bit of music from any of your favorite film uh, music makers. Um just you know, they're they're absolutely perfect song. Um, they hit yeah. all the right notes. It's, I mean by 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 the standards of the time, it was a long film. It it was about two and a quarter hours long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is ninety minutes. No, it doesn't. I think MGM would say you got to take fifteen minutes out of this. You got to get it out of two hours. And Hitchcock quite rightly said no. And where would you lose fifteen minutes from that? I mean, it's a, it's a roller coaster from start to finish. Yeah, one of my big and, bugbears with film is films that are too long that don't know that oh, overstay yeah. their welcome and are fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty minutes, whatever it is, longer than they should be. That they can be tighter. Maybe this is my enjoyment of older films and knowing how tight you can make a film and still make it good but films are just self-indulgent basically yeah and this film and you can mention the godfather films and you can mention various other films which are very long which are not too long they're just long yes. there's films which are short but they're too long yeah <laughs> those are the films i've got a problem with but north by northwest is perfect in terms of the running time it's got james mason james well. mason <laughs> He's fantastic. Uh, just it's the location. And Cary Grant in it is. I mean, I think he worked with Hitchcock. I mean, him and Jimmy Stewart both worked with Hitchcock four times each. I think they were probably yeah, his yeah. two main men. I think for North by Northwest, I think Jimmy Stewart actually wanted to be the main guy, and Hitchcock had decided mm. that right. oh, no, you're too old now, and the love, you know, the love, the love, you know, your love, love interest is just the so much. Shares, you can you can trot on, mate. <laughs> yeah, so they got Cary Grant in. I'm not quite sure how much age difference there is between Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart. But I don't think there's a great deal. Probably not much. No. But, but I, it's not something I know a great deal about. But I am led to believe that the suit that Cary Grant uh, wears in that film is apparently the the best dressed suit in cinema history, according to yeah something, like it. It. And, and it's copied it. in so many films. The things we haven't touched on, things like costumes and all those. The set designs, the production design, there's, there's so many other elements we haven't even got into, which are extraordinary as well. And um, I, don't, I don't know what more to say. I, I could fawn over this for, for hours, <laughs> to be honest. Even even the opening scene, the Saul Bass stuff with the graphic yeah. on the, you know, set against the, uh, the office building, um, even that just harks into this whole sense of classic Hollywood in that era, the busy metropolis and you know, characters that have got to make their way in the big wide world. It has the elements of that, but then it, it just channels into a certain way. And I mean, I'm, I'm a massive film of Tintin, a massive yeah. fan of Tintin even yeah. um, from the old days. It's almost got elements of Tintin about it. Those rip roaring yarn kind of. It is. It's got that, that adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It's boy's own stuff. Pulled into it? it. Yeah. Yeah. With famous landmarks and traveling yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. And um, again, it's got a British guy at heart, hasn't it? Cary Grant, of course, being from, from Bristol, Bristol originally. Archie Leach. <laughs> you can really tell from his accent that he's from Bristol. Uh, no, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> 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 but on that note, um, two things. One, I'm going to ask you to now um, tell me what your number two is. I think that's where we're at, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so, well, yes. My number two, my, carry on talking while I do that. Yeah. My number two is Vertigo. Yeah. 
And uh, my number one is obviously uh, North by Northwest, which yep. leaves me to, I think, work out that your number one is probably Psycho then. Well, how did you know? <laughs> and I really honestly mean this. I could have put Psycho, Vertigo or North by Northwest number one because they are all just ridiculously good films. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, any more to say on those? We've we've already covered them all. I think we've covered it. I, I, it's yeah, it's quite interesting. So uh, no room for the birds. Yeah, the birds. So that's again, not a famous one. No, the birds. I think it's more of, of a kind of concept and a gimmick. Whereas Rear Window was a concept and a gimmick, kind of concept that worked very very well. And the birds, parts of it worked very very well. It hasn't really got much of a story and an ending. No, that's right. Yeah, it's not a brilliant film, but it's a very memorable film. In fact, it may even be the film I saw before Rear Window as the first one on TV. I'm not quite sure. Um, but, I mean, for me, the order I arrived at with this was um, I put Vertigo at number three because it's got flaws. I thought maybe I'm going down the perfection line when it came to Hitchcock because I've got, he's got so many masterpieces. Yeah. There's different um, criteria by which you could decide on this top three. Yeah. In the end, I thought, well, let's just go for the one that's perfect. So for me, Psycho is, is literal perfection. I don't think there's a, a single note in that film that's wrong. Um, North by Northwest is, I would say, pretty much the same thing. Maybe just artistically, just slightly behind Psycho. And it doesn't have that kind of... Uh, the darkness. That, 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 all that twist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and yet it is brilliant. And it is probably, in my opinion, I don't know how well it did in the block, in the, um, the charts at the time, but it is for me what should be the greatest blockbuster of all time because it is perfection, but it's also probably the most enjoyable film I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, a, it's, like, it's like watching Indiana Jones yeah. or whatever, you know. And Vert, Vertigo, I put at three because I thought well, all of those things you could describe apart from the perfection thing, because there's, there's elements which are not great about it. The reason I, I said to my wife at one point, this might be the best, my favourite film of all time, um, was for the fact that it was so good, despite the flaws. That yeah. It inspired me and excite me so much, despite three or four things in it, which you could cringe yes. at. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, in the end, a rational view was to put that at number three, and Psycho just just ahead of north by northwest what was your thinking to to arrive in your order i think i think north by northwest for me was always going to be number one because i just remember watching it as a kid and it just brings back that whole that whole roller coaster well, entertainment where, where even when you're a kid and you and you've got you know small short attention span you just sat there and you watched it and you think well, what's going to happen now? And and Cary Grant is just pure Cary Grant. He's absolutely magnetic in this. He's just, you know, you just can't take your eyes off him. He's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 They don't, you know, they don't really make films like that so much anymore. Yeah. I think that's another element of the charm, isn't it? When you look back at older films, there's even even if you just delve into the 80s or something there's stuff that probably you wouldn't be able to do now when you go back that far to what is it 58 um yeah. something around then um you 59 59 there we are um you, you're talking about it feels like generations away doesn't it already yeah um but it's preserved and kept all the charm and all of the 
positive characteristics you could possibly hope it did. And yeah. it's timeless, basically, is what we're saying, isn't it? Hmm. No, completely and utterly. Yeah. And you went for Psycho at number three. three. What was the thinking on that? Was that just purely because the others are just that bit more entertaining as well? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, on any particular day, I could put them in any particular order. And I, I was yo-yoing between two and three for Vertigo and Psycho. Yeah, but there's just, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I can't, I can't really explain. I think, I think I just went Vertigo is just, had that that just that that little kind of I'm not quite sure what's going to happen here a little bit more that, that oh, I've never seen anything I think one of the problems I had with Psycho it's been copied and imitated so many times since yeah, <laughs> it's, it's become a bit of a cliche whereas obviously yeah. Vertigo hasn't I think and that's probably yeah by the time you in saw my it, case to its detriment you've already heard a lot about it by the time you saw it haven't you yeah. yeah, to maybe a slightly lesser degree, but still the same same sort of um, effect. I'd already um, heard a lot about it because it's just it's standing in the film world and even just the general public psyche is so much that you just yeah. it's unignorable, isn't it? Maybe that's one of the reasons I put it at number one. Actually, was the fact that despite that, I was still so blown away by it. Yeah. I think maybe maybe who knows? I think you could. Be, I mean, any listeners to this would probably. Uh, agree with a lot of what we're saying and maybe disagree with some, but the main points you probably would agree with is... We've both got the same top four. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Honourable mention to a few other Hitchcock films. We mentioned The Lodger. I I do recommend you see that, Phil. Um, I really love The 39 Steps, which is another madcap, old-school British adventure, uh, adventure story, um, mainly set in Scotland. And... Uh, again, it's spurned remakes and whatever, but that that was a classic. Absolutely, yeah. it's pretty much on a par with Lady Vanishes. Actually, I'd say, in my yeah, my opinion. I've read the book a long, long time ago when I was at school. Yeah. But yes, yeah, you got Frenzy, which is a latter day again. Very, he was returning to Britain, wasn't he, in terms yeah. of the, the setting? Um, shades of Jack the Ripper about it. There was shades of old school London in general got barry foster as this guy strangling people while going lovely 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 <laughs> which, which both cool me. Disturbing at the same time <laughs> i actually really like that film it's again it's very problematic um but it's again and again that's fairly dated now in terms of it's of its time yeah but what what else wrong now yeah, i, think, yeah, I think yeah trouble i mean harry, trouble with harry that's a good good one Leafy, leafy goodness. Golden leafy goodness, that film. <laughs> uh, Spellbound and Foreign Correspondent, I think the only yeah. one, the ones I, I enjoyed uh, immensely that we haven't really mentioned yet. Yeah. I Confess, uh, Montgomery Clift. Um, I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, that's, that's one of his lesser known ones. And when you try and remember a list of films you do know of his, it's one that gets overlooked sometimes. I'm... Once or twice I've struggled when I've tried to reel off a list of his films. Yeah. Um, Montgomery Clift is like a very troubled, he's kind of like the James, the understated James Dean Jr. sort of figure yeah. in American film history. Um, again, a troubled individual, died young, um, had homosexuality to contend with, which he struggled yeah. with, various things. But in this film, again, it's a really beautifully shot film. It's got Cole Morden in it, you know, from Streets of San Francisco and so on. Um, with the bulbous nose guy. Yeah. Um, that's a really good little film. Again, it t- taps into Catholicism because it's about 
a priest I'll who's have to dig it out. Murder. Yeah, yeah. So, which is again one of the big issues. If, if a murderer confesses to you in in the confession box, what do you do about that? You know, no, um, no. Lifeboat you mentioned. I love yeah. that film. Again, it's a single location, and yeah. we've seen it with films like the Ewan McGregor thing, where he gets injured in the uh, when he when he's out somewhere. It, what's it called? One hundred and twenty-three days or something. What's the name of the film? I can't remember now. Oh, is that that the, that the one we? He's stuck in a on the know, mountain. Was it? Yeah, hundred twenty-seven yeah, yeah. hours or whatever. I can't remember well, yeah. the exact number. I've seen that you've one. Got, you've got endless films at yeah. location, and there you've got you've you've got rear window, you've got lifeboat you've got rope there already you've got three films by one filmmaker two of which aren't in our top fives and, um, uh, so, and one other one we haven't mentioned dial in for murder yeah, yeah 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 which again has i think a really strong effect on the thriller genre in general has yeah. posters images concepts are all influenced by by his uh his work I watched the that. remake with vigo mortensen it was all right yeah I in fact I think Dial In for Murder might be a film that was done in 3D as well, if I'm not I think mistaken. It, I think it was his only attempt. I think he started filming it in 3D, yeah. and by the time he finished, I think the whole fad had passed on, so I think he kind of gave up on it a bit, but yeah. much like yeah. it happened sort of 10, 15 years ago here. Yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah. And there's many more besides. I'm, I have to apologise in advance because I'm sure we've missed some, some pretty good films that we haven't even mentioned yeah. at all on this subject and it's been a bit of an epic one to start with phil yes um, hope you've enjoyed this hours. pilot um hope you haven't got divorced yet as a result of this <laughs> <laughs> so yeah same for you yeah it's been absolutely brilliant I'm it's been a blast started. thank you very much we started on with one of the biggies um but not yeah. the northiest biggie we haven't gone for our five best films or anything we no, probably no, never no. will actually it's, it's a bit too subjective, isn't it? And it's a yeah. bit, uh, it, the canvas is too large, I think, for that. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if we did, when people ask me my favourite films, I usually go into three figures if they don't stop me sooner. Um, yeah. It's too broad a canvas, as you said. But we can subdivide it. If we do other episodes, yeah. we can talk about our five favourite whatever, you know, scenes involving a, a character that looks slightly like Shirley MacLaine or whatever, you know, whatever we want to do. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really matter we'll come on to it in time yes sure. definitely it's been great catching up with you it's been good thank, to start thank you very much with with one of my if not my favorite subjects alfred hitchcock i bloody love hitch yes <laughs> i think we worked that one out i think <laughs> and i think you yeah you certainly do as well don't you and um the oh, cat's definitely. hungry so we're going to leave it there um thank you for all those listening that made it through to the end yes thank you yeah, very you much can, for your perseverance you, yeah. You can now, uh, you can now get away. You now get a scouting badge for endurance, and um, <laughs> and if we do any more of these, please check them out. Um, I've been Russell Guyver, and I probably will be for some time to come. You have been Phil Newman, haven't you? I have indeed. And you're going to be that for some time to come, probably. Thank you very much. On that note, we bid you farewell until the next time.